All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to Bizzlecast 86, which is my commentary, full-length full commentary for Interstellar, the 2014 film by Christopher Nolan. This is a movie that I've come to like much more on repeat viewings than what you'll hear in my commentary. It's also a movie that does the opposite of what most good movies do um, and then don't do. Most good movies, their strength is usually the middle of the film, and that's the majority of the film, and that's the, that's the meat, and that's why it's so successful but sometimes have trouble getting into it and often even with the best movies like guardians of the galaxy um or, or even parts of the avengers you know have trouble with the final act this is a movie in interstellar in which the first act maybe a five i guess you would say you know four or five uh with murph the young murph mackenzie foy as matthew mcconaughey's daughter and then the final act where he's reunited with her bizarrely through you know a, a, a rip and the time space continuum where he's trying to send her messages from the future that he's already sent because it's already happened and everything has happened and that's one of the reasons i love this movie is it just takes theoretical physics and is way 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 too you know kind of pedantic at points but also comes up with some great ideas and implements them well and as i say in the film i won't talk too much about this you know, there are some directors like David O. Russell who rely too much on, you know, just a horde of big name talent in his films that it just doesn't always work. In fact, it works against the films. A lot of directors are like this. You have too many stars that you don't need. It just doesn't. It may be, you know, it may break, um, it may bring people to the box office at first, but it doesn't always result in a great movie. The Nolans, you know, Christopher and his brother Jonathan, who writes with him, the Nolans. <sighs> They don't really care about extended character drama for the most part, other than like the end of the Dark Knight Rises, I guess, um, and and uh, you know, and the Prestige, which is my favorite of the Nolan movies. Uh, didn't have time to talk about that here. Maybe sometime else. Point being, he can just give these roles that have sort of complicated backstories, but they don't have time to talk about and do exposition. Even if they do do some exposition on the wrong stuff, it gives them to brilliant, brilliant actors and actresses like Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey. Mackenzie Foy and Jessica Chastain, you know, even poor roles in the film, like Michael Caine's character, you know, you give it to Michael Caine and he makes you feel something with it. Um, I mean, when, when you're getting guest star roles from Casey Affleck, you know, you know, you've got it going on. But really, it, it is the the Murph, uh, you know, dad love story, um, you know, father daughter love story that makes this so great for me. Because I love great family stories when they're pulled off well. And if you can pull off even one uh, in terms of a single relationship within a family that may have a ton of interesting and complex relationships, you've you know gone a long way in winning me over. So, a couple quick things I want to mention and I'll take you into the podcast. Um, I, I think that both uh, Michael Caine, as aforementioned, and also Matt Damon, playing a marooned astronaut in this movie, who's totally evil, is the opposite of Mark Watney, who he would play the year after in... Uh, in the Martian, playing two completely different versions of Maroon characters. I really don't like David's character in this one. Not his fault. Also, the Michael Caine heel turn you could see coming a mile away, and uh, it, it, you know it's a little cushioned with repeat viewings. But I think they could have done something better there. Um, as I have copped to a lot in the last year, I've completely come around on Jessica Chastain, who I used to think was slightly overrated, if good, and now I absolutely love in any kind of role and think she's like un- unbelievably a kind of. Comedian. Me 
comedian, uh, comedian, uh, she's funny, uh, but chameleon, um, out there playing all sorts of roles. Uh, and, but I recorded this so long ago. This was like not that long after The Martian. This might have been a year ago when I recorded this. And I, I was just coming to my Jessica Chastain realization. So if it sounds a little, um, you know, a, a chronological or whatever, you know, like an anachronism, uh, if you've been following the middle cast, then it, you'll understand where it's coming from. Kenzie Foy is amazing, um, but uh, listening back through this, I, I think my my thought um, about this movie, why, why I love it, is that there is a kind of spirituality or even mysticism in what's going on here, and it seems really forced and fake at first, and maybe it is, but the fact that this is a sort of scientific mysticism where people are able to tap into higher uh, power of transcendence and knowledge in order to send a message of unbelievable import across time to save their world, both time and space. It's just a beautiful and amazing thing. So I hope you really like this journey with me. A couple quick uh, connect, uh, corrections, I should say. Um, one of my favorite modern actors, who I'm finally able to pronounce his name after a couple of years, David Oyelowo, is indeed in this movie, um, but I refer to David Gyasi, who plays one of the crew members um, on, uh, you know, the Endurance or whatever the ship is that they're on, uh, you know, who gets really old when he's waiting for them to come back from the planet close to the black hole and blah, blah, blah. That guy does a great job, David Gyasi. I'd seen him elsewhere. And David Oyelowo is one of my favorite actors, so I apologize for occasionally mixing up those two names. I also mix up Plan A and Plan B at the beginning, which isn't really a big deal because it's not really clear when you're watching it at first either. But if you've seen this movie um, or, or you're seeing it for the first time, just remember when they introduce Plan A and Plan B, I mix it up. So here we go. Time to get into the countdown. Get your digital files sent uh, set to uh, zero hours, zero minutes, zero seconds. Maybe a little ambient sound. Pause when you're ready and come back and we'll go into the countdown. It's Interstellar 2014. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. All right, people. Welcome to the Bizzle's commentary of Interstellar. A very good and interesting and thought-provoking movie. Came out in 2014. It's almost three hours long, so hopefully you can stay with me here. But I got a lot to talk about. Starring Matthew McConaughey and also Anne Hathaway, Jessica Chastain, and most importantly, Mackenzie Foy, who plays Murph, the younger version of Matthew McConaughey's daughter. It's a silent intro. Um, but goes into a, a brown tan background, which presage is. I'm always talking about this with the logo. They are they are communicating things about color. Here's Legendary Pictures, which was bought by a Chinese uh, company recently, but has mostly done the Nolan stuff in the past. They're setting up the dusty foreign landscape that we're about to see. Sink pity. Um. This movie was directed by Christopher Nolan, as I'm sure you know, and this shot here is, you know, keying up the climactic shot of the movie. It's on the nose after you've seen it once or twice, but at first it just seems like a beautiful image. They're farmers. Okay, so this is Mackenzie Foy, its third version as an old but very active and brilliant lady who's helping to save the world, starting with her father. Here it is. So... You know, 
Nolan had done Inception and Dark Knight Rises since Dark Knight before this. So he had a lot of skill with the CGI and the practical. But, yeah. There they just had a camera on the outside and a lot of fog and uh, green uh, green screen going on. Although they resisted green screen in parts of this movie. Okay, so here's the problem with Murph. She's so fantastic as an actress that she renders Jessica uh she renders Jessica Chastain not useless but just far less compelling because it's impossible to live up to this little girl but the problem is she looks exactly like Anne Hathaway and so I'm wondering if the Nolans or Christopher or whoever makes these choices would have switched those characters would have had Anne Hathaway as the older Murph and Jessica Chastain as the co-commander on the ship, which, as we see in The Martian, Chastain is more than able to, com- to be a uh, commanding officer on a starship. And here's all the corn. That's, that's all they got left. So, Christopher Nolan, and here's uh, older Murph uh, recounting everything. It's nice to have a narrator in complicated movies like this. Um, I like how they don't try and make the future documentary footage look futuristic. It's just documentary footage. But they use the uh, the video um, frame rate when doing the documentary stuff. Always dust. Let me tell you, I lived in rural Botswana. It is dust after dust after dust. It's seriously like this many nights of the year. And you got to do this exact thing. I wipe off the dust. But, you know. In the Dark Knight movies, through Gotham, Nolan played with some apocalyptic ideas. And when it got to Bane, very apocalyptic ideas. Inception and Memento, which are my two favorites of his, which we'll get back to, were more explorations of the human soul. And just like David O. Russell, in a much different way, I prefer when they go with explorations of the human soul. And the main way they explore that in this movie, although the brother's great too, is is through Murph here, Mackenzie Foy. She really looks like a young Anne Hathaway. I mean, they had it totally set up for themselves. She... She just delivers exposition like she's a a trained adult. John Lithgow, of course, one of my favorite. You know, Third Rock from the Sun was cheesy but hysterical growing up in the 90s. Look at her. That's Anne Hathaway. And what I like is it's clear that she's his favorite. And the Sun doesn't, you know, resent it at all. It doesn't resent her intelligence at all. The son, of course, turns out to be Casey Affleck, uh, which was a great touch. This is one of those movies that borders on having celebrities, because they're celebrities. But because the performances are all really good, even when the writing stumbles a little bit, um, I'm totally fine with that. I think The Martian definitely learned some things from this movie. Now, if we're talking about The Martian... In 2015, it had a $100 million budget, so they say. This had a $165 million budget. In 2010, with Inception, Nolan had a $160 million budget and made $825 worldwide. This made a very respectable $675 you know, overseas, or actually worldwide, but over 70% overseas, which is very impressive. And points to my theory that 
the blockbuster movies that are the headiest and the smartest tend to do better overseas proportionally than here because Americans like their fare more straight ahead. Sorry, Americans. I'm one as well. Obviously. Maybe not so obviously. So Cooper, played by McConaughey, and I've always loved McConaughey. Those like romantic comedy adventure movies he did for you know ten years in, in the two thousands, I could give two shits about. He's so charismatic, and he's obviously proved all of his doubters wrong. Not only with this, but with True Detective. But you don't even need True Detective. Look at this. This is father daughter. I mean, it's so hard to do this, especially because she only gets you know a third of the screen time. It's amazing. Although she gets it at the end when it's most important, it's really chill where they. Even though the science is sketchy. Whoa, drones. This is the opposite of the road in terms of its, uh, in terms of its uh, you know, dystopic vision of the future. It's still green. There's still cornfields, but they're poor and it's dusty. Okay, so this is important. I'm trying to remember why here. I actually saw this twice in the theater. I did not love it at all the first time I saw it, other than Murph here. Um, I liked it a lot more on my second viewing, and I think I'm going to like it a lot more here on my third viewing. So that guy's the son of the vice president in Homeland, who kills someone by accident in the car and gets out of it because his dad is VP. But he's a great actor. Big fan. Okay, so the music in the in the Dark Knight movies... When they got in Hans Zimmer, um, uh, uh, computer stuff, when they got in Hans Zimmer um, to do The Dark Knight Rises, it really took off. But for the most part, it was just sort of a synthy ambient thing. There is major music stuff going on here. Okay, so they're tracking down some anomaly. This is like Natalie Portman at the beginning of Thor. Almost got it. Don't stop. Don't stop. And Hans Zimmer did this soundtrack. He did it completely different. He totally went the Kronos Quartet uh, route with this one. <laughs> Drive off a cliff scenario. Um, you know. Zimmer knows what he's doing. And the thing is, you can say, oh, he only builds three or four major epic themes. Almost no one can do that. And they're so good that you don't need anything else. Oh, he's controlling it. Yeah, use some wireless connection. Still going down. And, you know, <laughs> this might be obvious, but it was important to sell... You know, at least 10 to 15 minutes of family getting by and loving each other to make his decision to go away that much more difficult. And this is one of those few movies, I will give it to them, where it seems totally irrational for him to leave his family to go on this mission, even by his standards or their standards. But because of McConaughey and because of what it does to Murph and changing her life, not for the better, um, it's, it's, you know, it's brilliant and totally acceptable. So this somehow leads to the secret space base. And I think Mackenzie Foy, as young Murph, figures it out. Uh, the plot really never adds up here. And I think what resonated with me in my second viewing is I stopped trying to get the plot to add up. And I just watched the movie. And it's beautiful. 
Yeah, above, you know, against all odds, Interstellar, you know, with a ginormous budget, with uh, Christopher Dolan, is really a family movie. It's beautiful. It's maybe his first true family movie, actually. You know, Dark Knight has shades of it, with Bruce and Alfred and his parents and whatever, but... Mike could be mad. Oh, here we go. So she's discovering. This is the whole thing. She's discovering abnormalities with the dust in her bedroom, which you think is just a little girl with a too active imagination. But she discovers the <laughs> saving of the human race with with what she's doing in her sketchbook right now. And there's a little bit of a Dune thing going on with that, you know? It, it seems like the kid is just a kid, and then the kid's the one who ends up saving everybody. All right, so Tom's not the smartest in school, played later by Casey Affleck. Right, and they're so realistic in the society to be like, he'll be a farmer, and that's great. We need them. Yep, here he's getting pissed that she's not going to college. He's fine that his son will be a farmer. Uh-huh. Oh, the, dude, is this Malcolm X here? Fuck, what's his name? I'm a fucking asshole for not knowing this. I apologize. And if it's not the guy that plays Malcolm X in Selma, or I'm sorry, Martin Luther King in Selma, I apologize for that too. But this looks like David Oyewudavidu, um, and I work with African artists, so I know Ghanaian names. I just forget his exact. Yeah, he's really begging for Merv to get in university. She's the one person that should be there, and an engineer, right? That's important. He has got super skills, not just flying. Right? We don't need more engineers. But I like how they put this in a slightly rundown but normal, you know, school advisory office setting, you know? Everything isn't total shit, but they're living more on the edge than they should. Th- this is really the most realistic. If you go down 20 years from here, 2016, 20, 30 years, this is the most realistic scenario. People aren't turning on each other completely. It's not total chaos. People are holding on to what they have. But expectations are way lower. There's dust everywhere. Their food is limited. And they just don't have the resources to catch up to where they were because of the, uh, you know, extinction of the environment's resources, I hate to say. Okay, now they're working in some American space history. Oh, they think astronomy is a joke. (laughs) <laughs> I, I appreciate the balls for bringing this up you know I, I don't think you really needed this i think people could have believed in space flight and still made the you know because because the difficult decision he makes has to do with murph not any of this nonsense mri right oh god his wife died of cancer they didn't have the equipment yeah, there's a lot of emotional beats in this movie. I forget. You, you just get hung up. An apparently fast-moving movie at three hours is amazing. I'm sorry about your wife. Oh, God. Murph got into a fist fight. Who cares? Oh, they're fighting over the space ideology? Yeah. Come on, Nola. That's a little weak. <laughs> we can tell she's an intellectual. She doesn't need to be fighting over the Apollo missions. A baseball phase. <laughs> Look at McConaughey just killing that, manipulating these people. Yeah. (laughs) 
Oh, he's so good. The thing is, I could only stomach a few episodes of True Detective, but I really loved him and Woody Harrelson together. Right, and this is rewarding your girl for doing wrong because in your mind she wasn't doing wrong. Actually, who she looks like, speaking of Batman, Christopher Nolan, and Anne Hathaway, is Miranda Tate. I could totally see her being a younger version of Miranda Tate. And it would be another Marianne Cotard appearance in a Nolan property, which I don't think anyone would have complained about, because she's ridiculously powerful and versatile and, you know, gorgeous, obviously. But now that I love Jessica Chastain so damn much from The Martian, I'm wondering how I'll react to her here, where I wasn't thrilled with not her performance, but just the writing for her character, which she had nothing to do with. Everything with her and uh, and Alfred and Michael Caine uh, is just a little weak. There we go. So, you know, there are a lot of video games based on this notion. They usually have vampires and so forth, but zombies... But a slightly dystopic future where everything's a little off and everyone's fighting for scarce resources. Mad Max without everyone go, you know, everyone having gone totally insane. Oh, here it is. Does he start to believe Murph now? I totally forget this. Right. The spaces. Because she's a genius. She looks just like Ed Hathaway. Morris. She already knows Morris code. <laughs> right. He sort of says, you know, I don't believe you, but he's spooked by the whole thing. He knows she of all people would be clear-minded. She's only not clear-minded when it comes to him. But the scene where he's listening to Jessica Chastain as older Murph, you know, millions of light years away, and starts crying. I mean, it totally makes the movie. He should have gotten nominated. This is like Michael B. Jordan in Creed. This is such a virtuosic performance. You have to nominate this guy. Maybe they did. He, he, they love him in Hollywood, even though he's a pothead and a little bit of a maverick, but apparently he's a g- really good guy. He happens to like West African blues, which is what my music company, Modiba, specializes in. He did movies in Mali. He loves it over there, and we've met him. Not me, but our people have met him a couple times, and he's a real sweetheart, apparently, so God bless. I'll try not to drool over his acting chops too much. Look at Lithgow just killing it. I mean, he's not Michael Caine, but for this kind of role, this is exactly what you need. Tom will do just fine. Right, you're the one that doesn't belong. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if this is a little bit of an analogy or metaphor for a lack of female in his life. And that's never fulfilled. Murph. He's always talking about Murph. Murph, Murph, Murph. This whole first part of the movie is Murph. And that's the thing. I often say the middle act is extremely difficult and is usually the most interesting because of character development. The final act's a big battle, hard to make look original, even when it's a great movie like Guardians of the Galaxy. Here we go back to documentary footage. Um, And the first act is actually the easiest in most movies because you just do a big action set piece. And this movie resists that exact urge. It's going to go... 
At this rate, I'm thinking they go 35, 40 minutes at least before the whole space stuff starts. And you need to show the future. You got the Yankees playing in a little sandlot, you know? Maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. Hot dog, great. Here's the hung- hungering for things they can't have. And what McConaughey does brilliant is he and his son both know without saying it that Murph is the favored one, but he loves his son to fucking death, and he'll always give him as much attention and as much love. And if things went forward with Murph going to college and him becoming a farmer, they'd be farming together, and they'd love each other. Uh-oh. Is there a sandstorm coming? Here we go. We got the sandstorms just like in Dune. See, in Children of Men, the horror was all about not having babies, and so people thinking that their future was ended, literally, without being able to have babies, turned on each other. In this movie, it's more like The Road, a little bit, but people have not turned on each other yet, and that's really important, because there's so much other character drama going on throughout, um, and it's so dark, and yet this is, I would say, one of the more humanistic Nolan movies like if Interstellar I'm sorry if uh Inception was sort of his gladiator I would say no Dark Knight Rises was sort of his gladiator in 2012 this is his kingdom of heaven has nothing to do with the themes it's just more subtle it's more understated you know he goes full practical almost the entire beginning of the movie I mean they're shooting tons of dust here this isn't some special effect they're getting pelted you know, a Matthew McConaughey holding Murph there, if that's even Murph, is r- truly to protect her from what they're shooting out. You know, it makes acting much easier. Not that they, they couldn't do it anyways. Yeah, dust storms are a uh, very real possibility because we're cutting down trees and plants, you know, and eroding mountains that, you know, protect us from this stuff. Although, like I said in Botswana, this happened like twice a week. It's uh, You just got used to getting dusty. And you had no showers, so we bucketed in the tub and pouring water on yourself. Not satisfying. Um, here it is. He sees it. The ghost. And this is great. This is great. I think my problem the first time is I wanted this to be such hard science because the executive producer from a science standpoint is Kip Thorne from Caltech, whose book about uh, uh, black holes and time warps and and wormholes and so forth in the 90s, while huge, was very understandable for someone scientifically minded like myself and completely with Stephen Hawking and Carl Sagan, with who he was really good buddies, still good buddies with Stephen Hawking. You know, those three guys changed my entire view of reality and shit. I mean, they really did. And so when they take liberties late in this movie, I already know I'm going to like it more than I did because I liked it more the second than the first, and I'm I'm excited to see it. And uh, we don't know what the fuck's really going on with, like, string theory and so forth. So it's all speculative. So you might as well have fun with it. Okay, Murph's got the, the, uh, the blanket on. Daddy's sitting there. All right, it's not a ghost. It's too... The, it's magnetic is the thing. Is it, does he know? It's gravity. So where's this gravity coming from? It, it's too bad gravity came out the year before. I, in some ways, I think gravity would have been the, the better title for this movie than Interstellar. It's a little bland.
But who am I to argue with the great Christopher Nolan? Yep, he's starting to write in the book. And this is important because he abandons Murph. It tears him up inside. But this all comes back in the end. Ah, it's binary. He's already figuring it out. Right, why here though? Why here? And this is what's brilliant. I didn't realize the first time. Was it, it's totally personal. As scientific and epic as it is, it's ultimately personal. It's him sending a message from the future back to her. Casting in this movie was by John Popsidera, which is a very unusual. Casting directors are 90 plus percent women. For good reason, women are much better and faster uh, judges of character and acting talent than men. I don't think anyone would dispute that. In fact, they used to not show casting director in the main credits. Uh, if, you know, again, anti-woman shit. And they finally corrected that a little while ago. So is this it? Is this him going? No, he's gonna. He's investigating first. <laughs> uh, you just love her. You just love her. I just love her. Exactly the kind of daughter you want. Inquisitive, troublemaker, anti-authoritarian. Thinks for herself. Smart. Applies her skills, creative. She, you know, she's the perfect girl for this society to save it, and she does, and she does. And they sell it here. This little girl is gonna save their fucking society with a little assist from her pops from the future. That's great. Yeah, all practical. I know it looks like the eighties. It's great. Christopher Nolan just. You know, I think he learned his lesson with Inception. It was an orgy of special effects, and I'm generally not into orgies of special effects. When it's like the Avengers, it's like, well, we gotta do it. It's an alien army, robot army. But when you're doing these ground-level scenes, just go classic. You know, I mean, there's literally someone whose job it is to figure out when Matthew McConaughey's really going to be driving with a camera and, you know, in or out of the truck and when it's going to be a double or just from a distance. You know, someone's organizing all that. It's amazing. End of the road. It's similar to The Road, the book and movie. Uh, I'm not sure I've seen the movie all the way. The book is by Cormac McCarthy is highly, highly disturbing, extremely good, but about a father and a young child, and it's that young child that makes him fight against all odds. And this is different in that he's not fighting zombies or just people gone crazy, but, you know, the children and men scenario, as I was getting to, is about, well, how would people react if there was no more babies? They would be their worst possible selves. And... Here is an example of the positivity that can result from doing something for your child. He does everything for her. Uh oh, Norad. Oh, uh, okay. So there's there's a time loop thing going on because the dust that comes out then, which leads them here, is not the same. So future Matthew McConaughey in this first time loop sent this message to Murph, leading to this office oh yeah the the robot design is awesome yeah the three uh the three metal uh, um 
what do you even call those appendages but talks like a person yeah it's sort of the opposite of kevin spacey from uh um from moon i prefer that but for the sake of this mission okay here it is Anne Hathaway underused in this film. And my main complaint is going to be Anne Hathaway, Matt Damon, and a couple other actors being either underused or not properly used. And Dr. Brandt. <laughs> Wasn't his cute. The problem is they just don't let Anne Hathaway go full acting in this role. You gotta let her be you know, hysterical, or high on life, or low on life. It doesn't have to be totally extreme, but this is a little, a little more gravitas than I think uh, our character needs. She's still snappy, though. I just like Selena Kyle, Dark Knight Rises. She's so great. She's one of those characters that is underused, but is six man off the bench to just make it believable, the whole thing. Right. Uh, she's already in the boardroom. That's important. That's important. Does he know? Oh, Professor Brand. Michael Caine. Okay. So the worst actual plot point, he's explaining how they stumbled across this. The worst possible, you know, plot point is that 30 years later, uh, Michael Caine's character ends up just being a fraud and almost ruins the whole thing. Yeah. Doesn't like being threatened. They're going on the semi-hard sell. I like that they're threatening, but not overly threatening. Yeah, the the woman loves the girl. Speak it out. Yeah. Look at how he holds her. I mean, this is just, it's so heartbreaking when they get separated. The last thing he ever wants to do is stop holding her. Ugh, she's so comfortable. That's the thing. I talk about how when actors are good with young actors in a non-weird way, in just a totally, you know, father-daughter, mother-son, mother-daughter, whatever way, even if they aren't related as such, when they're good with younger kids, uh, you know, in a normal way, it says something really good about that. Because kids really react off body language and positive vibes or negative vibes. And it's clear she's comfortable you know, being held. Um, yeah, here's Anne Hathaway and Mackenzie Foy. Right, so there's this really advanced space program that can, you know, send them deep into space to try and discover a new home. But the secondary plan, you know, of launching off of Earth with the majority of people turns out to be total bullshit. But for the sake of the commentary and the movie... Uh, I will keep it kosher and uh, we'll ignore that bizarre heel turn until it comes many, many minutes from now. So The Martian was all about a world that wasn't in shambles, but that still needed to come together in order to rescue this guy. This is about the end of the world and the beginning of the only possible new one.
So the blight, as they call it, which is very much from fantasy or sci-fi, is somehow nitrogen-based. Yeah, oh, here comes the children of men stuff. There's not going to be more children afterwards, and then people will really go crazy. That's what's at stake. Yep, character building, Anne Hathaway, good with the child, he's got to like her immediately, Murph likes her. We're not meant to save the world, we're meant to leave it, right. So that part is definitely true. Yeah, they make the shuttle look so modern, you know, it's fantastic. If anything, it looks more, you know, slapdash because of their limits of technology at this point and money. Oh, they already sent people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had to die in the first place. Uh, he had to die in the first place, did Lazarus. So this whole thing based, you know, this whole movie is based on the notion of wormholes. Now, we know wormholes exist. The problem is they're in, on a quantum level of microscopic, and they last, you know, point zero 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 one to the 100th power seconds long. What this movie postulates is that they're could be wormholes that could open up to the size of a vessel or even larger and safely transport you to another part of the universe almost instantaneously through a warping of space-time. And I'm very excited about this possibility. I don't know if this movie sells it, but through aesthetics and performance, they sell it enough. Right, how long will that be gone? Yes. Yeah... Right. And this is the Captain America thing. No, oh, here we go. Alright, this has to do with the gravitational waves from the Big Bang, meaning more than just what it seems like on the surface. David Oyelowo is a school principal here. He's the guy that played Martin Luther King to great acclaim. I apologize for screwing up his name there earlier. That is inexcusable, and he's a really interesting part of this movie. It leads where? Right. So, the easiest way to uh, think about this is take a chessboard, okay? You draw a chessboard on a piece of paper, okay? Eight squares by eight squares. Now, if you think of square A4, which is where the king or queen would be on the one side, and H4 on the other far side, which would be the king or queen, those are there are eight spaces, actually six spaces between them, but eight total spaces from one to the other. So that's many number of moves. But what if you could take that piece of paper and fold it in half? So that A4 and H4 are directly pushed together. That's what the warping of space-time does, but in four dimensions, as opposed to three. This is all the exposition. I think Martian does a better job of not explaining all this stuff. It doesn't really matter. You know, them keeping the crew alive for 530 days of their trip back from Mars, maybe they should have been in cryo, but it would have been way less interesting. 
you know, they're, they're laying seeds for the Michael Caine heel turn with these guys just seeming a little sketchy. But he has to start trusting Anne Hathaway here, um, which, which is ultimately what, what convinces him. That, and he sees his daughter maybe not, you know, being able to have children. That's the long shot. Yeah. Plan B. Right, okay, right. So their plan A and plan B is bullshit. You know, I, I think it was just for dramatic effect when things looked terrible that plan B was bullshit. But it was also to force Jessica Chastain as older Murph to think even more outside the box. Up, 90 degrees, shot to the side. These shots right here of just the three guys walking slowly in the middle. You know, I mean, it's Hollywood. Um, You know, Nolan's a Hollywood director at this point. You know, for Anne Hathaway to just look at her. I mean, she's just... Just the right amount of interested, keeping her distance. Right, so she's the one who's excited about Plan B. Here we go. Right, problem is gravity. How do we get human life off the planet? A population bomb. And this all turns out to be bullshit. From Michael Caine, who plays it brilliant, just keeping a neutral face the whole time. You know, like most great liars, he learns how to believe his lie enough to be able to go on. And the thing is, Anne Hathaway here, who maybe shouldn't have gone on the mission because of her brains, combined with Jessica Chastain later as future Murph, you know, actually do solve the problem. Nice. I love the different color chalk. Very interesting. There's the right amount of books. Not shoving it in people's faces. He's a professor. I'm asking you to trust me. Yep. So, unclear whether Brand here is playing with Michael Caine is really believing what he's saying is possible. Or even probable. Or desirable. Here it comes. This is really horrible. 35 minutes in. I can't believe it. It's like ha- it's like a quarter of the movie. Oh, God. <sighs> Nothing to say here. Does not make it wrong. Right thing done for the wrong reason. Can the right thing ever be done by the wrong reason? For the wrong reason? Or vice versa? Yeah, they had to sell him as uh, just a brilliant farm boy who got both sides of the equation. And uh, he'd just been a brainiac living in an upper middle class society. If that even exists anymore, it just wouldn't be as effective. Mm. He's starting to believe it. Gotta save mankind. Yeah. How's he gonna make things right with Murph? Um, not telling her that he's gonna be back. 
<laughs> she put everything in front of the door. <laughs> oh, God, she's great. You should just not say anything. Keep it broken so you have to stay. Man, are they giving her tough lines to deliver. We're just here to be memories for our kids. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. I think what's brilliant about this movie is... Oh, look at Mackenzie Foy just killing it. I can't believe she didn't get nominated or win for this. You know, it seems like this is going to be a heady philosophical treatise on space-time and quantum physics and so forth. But ultimately, uh, its biggest revelations are personal and familial. It's great. I can't be your ghost right now, which is exactly what he's doing for the future, is being her ghost. They chose me. Right, who's they? Look at her, taking him right in the eye. Oh, my God. This this is impossible for child actor. Oh, right. She's got it, and that's why he has to come back. Stay, right. Okay, and this never adds up to me. Is that, to the very end of it, and when he... When... When when he sees stay late, he says, oh, no, I should have stayed. I should have never left. But uh, that would have never resulted in older Murph saving humankind. So that'll be something we'll look for. Oh, watch us. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, he's living the dream that Murph wants to, and that she'll partially get to do with science, but not really rocket into space. Mmm, we're gonna compare. Right, like she doesn't understand relativity yet, come on. Well, far from that, he'll be quite younger than her. He's missing her whole life. Yeah, right, this is what they were talking about. You gotta tell her. This is heartbreaking. You know, you earn so much goodwill from me from this sort of stuff. It's so real. These two really bonded. You can just tell with actors when they bond. It's an amazing thing. And that to me is like at least half the worth of the actor to have to be able to have these relationships and make people feel comfortable and natural with you. Yeah, this movie sold me a Matthew McConaughey even more than True Detective. You know that he could do this, and that didn't even seem. Uh, is it Mud? No, what was the movie he was in about the uh, Texan AIDS thing? Up oh, there drops a book from the future from him. Think about that, people. It went fine. Yeah. yeah. His son does. Nothing he can do.
Right, his son, his son's not the smartest, but he's responsible enough to take care of stuff. Your truck. Yeah, his truck. <laughs> I'll make sure they bring it back. So, here we go. We're 41 minutes, 40 seconds into a movie with two more hours. And, you know, it, it feels... uh. You know, it feels slow. Now Murph wants to say bye, and she can't because he's already gone. Oh, it's brutal. You know, it, it it feels like we've gotten so much depth, and yet not nearly enough. Here it is. I love how they are doing the ignition as he's driving. That's brilliant. Bob. Yeah, doing a, a Martian interstellar comparison would be really interesting. Um, I think a lot of it's obvious, the similarities and differences, but there might be some subtle stuff. I also think there's some moon influences on this, even though it was a small indie movie, much beloved by Duncan Jones back in '09, I want to say, with uh, Sam Rockwell and Sam Rockwell and Kevin Spacey. I just, the personalities of the various cure people and Matt Damon and so forth, just not as well developed as with the Mars mission, even though they have more time together. And that's just writing, you know, it's just writing. Drew Goddard wrote a brilliant script for the Martian. And Jonathan Nolan, uh, or Christopher Nolan, I should say, does a lot right with this movie, but... His ensemble cast don't always come together, and while I think this is far superior to Interstellar, I'm sorry, to Inception, I keep saying that. There, there goes the uh, rocket fuel. Now they're headed course, so people don't realize why they dropped the rocket fuel. They only need the rocket fuel to accelerate. Once they're getting to, like, you know, 10,000 miles an hour or whatever it is, 58,000 miles an hour, um, they just have to be headed in the right direction. And since there's no resistance in space outside of gravity wells of planets and so forth, can head straight to the destination and they can go into cryo-freeze, which I think they're going to do. Um, they make this more cramped than uh, the gravity, um, I'm sorry, than the, uh, the Martian um, spaceship, the Hermes. But the Hermes is meant for staying awake for 530 days. This is based on 530 days or whatever of cryofreeze. Yeah, and Hathaway gets to be really subtle here, which I like. I think that's the thing. She's great subtle and she's great unsubtle. Tars. Yeah, definitely definitely a call to Moon and, and all the various AIs over the years. And I believe the AI sacrifices itself later in this movie, just like Kevin Spacey sacrifices himself as the AI at the end of Moon. Spoiler alert, he seems like Hal, he seems like creepy AI, but uh, in the end he's there to help Sam, and so he helps Sam and gives up something in order to do so. Um, the physics here looks slightly real. Okay. So this movement here, where they're flying or whatever, it looks like this in the Martian, too. I think that's what this would really look like, but not having seen or experienced it firsthand, it's very hard to know. Oh, uh, is this the thing that really shoots them into the 
into the black. This is yeah, like in um in the episode two, Attack of the Clones. The only cool part was the various spaceships that uh, Obi Wan was taking around the galaxy. And it's this sort of thing where it was module based, and you have a smaller ship attached to a bigger engine, and just boom. Yeah, man, this is great to do commentary on. God damn, I wish I'd done this before. Look at that. That's like Stargate right there. Yeah. I really think Christopher Nolan is a sci-fi nut. If you really look at it, you know, he may not be reading, you know, weird far future science fiction, stuff about aliens and so forth, but, you know, I bet he read The Martian. He probably read The Martian before The Martian even came out. In fact, that would have maybe had an... And no, this came out slightly before the book of the Martian. There's TARS. I believe there's two robots. It's not communicated well. I guess maybe they get the robot from another place. I think part of the reason I forgot that David Ayolowo was in this movie is that he's kind of a weak and ineffectual character. Um, You know... I mean, we didn't see much of the German guy in the Martian on the Hermes crew, or the five of them. They saw him the least, and he was somewhat emotionless. Uh, but not sort of ever questioning why he's on the mission. The thing is, though, you send people in these circumstances, you have no way of judging. It's not like going to the fucking moon. So is this the main life pod that they're moving into? That it was just cheaper to put the life pod up and have them go to it. Yeah, but they do do a lot more sideways and upside down shots in Interstellar, which I totally appreciate. Um, and I think Ridley Scott very much said, okay, some of these shots are great and some of them are ones I would make, but I'll go out of my way to making things a little different. So here we have a little active camera documentary style but for the most part it's a statically based camera even if they're shaking around a little bit um you know ridley scott did more like shaky cam and first person stuff in the martian than his entire career uh but i, I think gravity's the weakest of this interstellar and The Martian, even though it won all the awards. I think it's the least rewatchable. I think Sandra Bullock breathing hard for an hour is difficult to take. The George Clooney character is cartoonish. I love Alfonso Cuaron. I'm always talking about Children of Men, 2006, one of my favorite, not just dystopic movies, but movies ever. Um, Nolan's been a bit more consistent. Has he done anything since this movie? I feel like I would know that. Oh, didn't didn't they try to do the story of Noah or something like that? That's hilarious. One G. Oh, right, they're in the circular. All right, so they they got the ring that causes enough gravity for them to just walk around normally, or relatively normally. Bring a lot. Yeah. So Chris, nope, hasn't done anything as far as I could tell. 
He's doing something called Dunkirk for 2017, which is about an excavation at the beginning of World War II with Tom Hardy, of course, Mark Rylance, and others. should be great. Yeah. So they still can have video communication here. Later it takes, you know... Somehow they're able to transmit through the wormhole. Um, I guess if you could send matter through the wormhole, you should be able to send, you know, waves. Uh, Oh, here's the poetry. I guess you should be able to send waves through the hole? I don't know. The wise men at their end, though dark is right. Because their words had forked no lightning. They do not go gentle into that good night. Yeah, motivational speech. Right, and I think one of the big things to come out of all of this is that not only is Michael Caine the only one that knows that plan A here is the only one that might work. Plan B is full of shit. He sacrifices his own daughter. That's how desperate he is. Although she wants that, you know. I mean, I think it's clear that, you know, he didn't, he didn't have to push her too hard. So, you know, the revelation about Dr. Mann and Hathaway's relationship to him and how that whole thing resolves. God, she looks just like Murph. They really screwed up. This is maybe the biggest Nolan script ever. And in, in the sense he had in the palm of his hands. And Hathaway should have been older Murph. It's it's all there. In fact, when I first saw this movie, I thought there was going to be some revelation along those lines because it just seemed so obvious. I'll let that lie. I mean, they're still doing exposition about what's going to uh, sustain human life. Um, you know, I mean, other than McConaughey, everyone else's relationships have to be either described through exposition or just sold very, very subtly, which I'm fine with both of those if they're done well. I think the Martian... Martian does a better job of taking one-and-a-half or two-dimensional characters and making them, with very little screen time, two-and-a-half to, you know, to almost three-dimensional. All right, here's Dr. Men. He's the best of us. Um, they do make Anne Hathaway a little bit more of a tomboy, uh, as they do with Chastain in, in The Martian, which w- would make sense. Uh, you know, I don't want to start making gender stereotypes, but, um, she, uh, you know, she's, she's one of the guys without even having to try to, and I think that was important to not make that an issue. Is Lion evil because he rips the gazelle to shreds? Uh, not exactly a deep thought, but interesting image, nevertheless. And and they sell a little romance between these two, which is great, because it's not realized, and it shouldn't be realized, but it would be natural. So here's life aboard the ship, you know? The Martian never has time to, to do the spaceship thing. I mean, he's, you know, either in the hab, like in the base, or he's out trying to make shit happen, driving the rover around and growing plants and doing all sorts of stuff. It's great the cryo is in water, which would make sense. Normally it's just this sort of like foggy freeze, you know. Um, it makes more sense that it would be frozen in water. I have a discretion setting. <laughs> yep. Yep. And again, a red herring set up that the 
computer systems are going to be an issue, but ultimately they, they serve humanity. Um, it, there's actually an, an unusual number of red herrings in this movie. Oh, yeah, the update to Murph. She doesn't even want to hear this. I don't know if she listens to this. Yeah, I can't see the dust. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gotta force it on her. Let's see the truck. Is it him? Oh, I was just telling them that that he's the McConaughey's gone. <laughs> They're not happy with this guy. Why are you my dad's truck? Oh, yeah, that's a nice guy at least. Can bringing the truck back? Yeah, he, she doesn't want anything to to do with it. Yep. Yeah. It's the one thing that keeps these people going. You know, Sam Rockwell's got his fake family. He doesn't realize this is his fake family in the moon. Keeps him going. Matt Damon talks to himself as if he's talking to humanity with each step he takes. That's his own form of therapy. Head to Mars. Right, so they have to go outside the system. You had to... It's <laughs> thing about the wormhole is, you know, and the placement of wormhole is very important um and i'm sure they thought through some of that stuff look at that beautiful solar system i see that a little bit in the martian and gravity <laughs> the slow burn of the Murph story at the ranch while very affecting emotionally it just didn't all add up for me the first time but after thinking about it and seeing it again, it's uh, it's beautiful poetry, you know. Because in the end, here's the messages: the science is a tool and not something to fetishize, but to get something done to help save humanity. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Murph won't say hi. Right. This is before they jump. Once they jump. Uh, and they enter the gravity well of the planet uh, they're about to go to. Um, Murph is going to get a lot older compared to him because they're in a gravity well, and gravity slows time, and just like a rapid movement. Um, in fact, gravity operates much like, you know, faster-than-light properties. Or, I'm sorry, relativistic properties leading towards the speed of light. Yeah, I guess this is the guy, like, on in Sunshine or movies that are a little bit more, like, you know, terror sci-fi or whatever. Um, you know, you need the doubter who you just can see getting killed miles, you know, miles away, but pointing out stuff they all should be thinking about. What do they listen to there? Crickets chirping, rain falling. Very meditative. Very meditative. You know, The Martian wasn't... Uh, no, actually, The Martian was well shorter than this. They they dove into it much more quickly. But, you know, is it a father-daughter story? Is it the meditative 
space journey is it a kind of suspense thriller where they don't know you know who they're going to find on these planets and what's going to happen more exposition this is the thing and this is why this movie made quote only 188 million dollars domestically which is below the 200 mark that you want to get but it made almost 500 million overseas for a 22 plus percent split towards foreign and i hate to say it but this movie the the better x-men movies you know, it's just the seriousness and the humanity and the lack of need for constant action works with the European um, and foreign audiences more than American audiences. Why Gravity did so well, uh, unclear. Yeah. <laughs> David is a little, uh, a little bit of a caricature. It's a lot of the uh, characters end up becoming slightly caricaturish. Uh, um, you know, Matt Damon's does, and Hathaway with her just sheer skills is able to prevent that from happening to her. All right, this is what I was describing earlier. This is the classic. I can't believe they did this, and this was part of what I didn't like. Was like the science was easy towards me but i realized that i'm abnormal in my interest in astrophysics even though i'm not in the field i've been reading about it since i was a teenager and still do the paper thing with the pencil as i was trying to get to earlier with the chessboard uh you know it is, is the clear thing to do but they took the straight path to good filmmaking and i will almost never take away credit for that so, right, so this planet, it, it must be super huge to have such a large gravity well, or just be made of a super dense, uh, super massive material. Yeah, there's me, right? So I, I talk in my Creed podcast about how they did a great job of making Sylvester Stallone audible, at least to me, for almost the whole movie, if not the whole movie. Someone who has trouble hearing, you know, people muttering with music and other noises going on on screen. I thought they did a great job with the sound balance. Matthew McConaughey, a little bit harder to understand at times, but that's just because his accent's even thicker. Yeah, I think, I think McConaughey has the the hot the hottest male Southern accent. All right, I, I mean, I I don't know. Uh, I'm just guessing. That's not in country music. Look at this. All right, they're flying on far side of this planet, and they shoot around, and boom. It's an interesting way to enter the wormhole. They flew around the side of it, and then it was almost like there was an entrance. This is exactly what you need to do. Look how beautiful this is. I mean, you compare everything to Contact. Um, although, with the opening sequences of the X-Men movies and the Matrix movies, they do kind of graphically similar things, but in terms of a straight-up wormhole. Um, Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek in the mid-'90s, didn't have the budget for anything like this, but had some cool wormhole uh visualizations Anne Hathaway killing it just by moving her face around I think it's them who's she talking to or about uh, I forgot about the mysticism of this whole thing 
the right the makers or the founders the the people who came before and laid the structures and that's why this is ultimately an ode to 2001 because 2001 and set up an entire genre oh man check out this wormhole looks awesome of of finding deep space objects from a much earlier time and that is the case in 2001 and that is the case in many sci-fi books in the last 20 years and that is the case with this movie what was that the first handshake A little bit of a Solaris vibe as well. One of my favorite sci-fi movies. Um, you know, you're trapped on a boat in the middle of space. And a couple people go weird. What would, what would happen? <laughs> the, the exposition trade continues it's unbelievable i mean this and gravity are opposite movies and i think that's why gravity was way more acclaimed because gravity was like all right we're gonna go with the pure aesthetic emotional experiential notion of the space this is just science nerds played by famous hollywood actors uh with some action and excitement and uh you know, this was based partially on at least Kip Thorne from Caltech, who I may have mentioned. His buddies going back to the 60s and 70s with Mr. Stephen Hawking and Carl Sagan, may he rest in peace. Who Those two guys wrote Cosmos and A Brief History of Time. Only the, like, the two best-selling, most influential mainstream uh, books about cosmology. So here they're figuring out the gravity. It's going to cost seven years back on Earth. And that's that's per day, maybe? Per, per week? Plan A, find a planet, habitable to people. Yeah, right. His, for his family, he, he can't give up like 40, 50, 60 years, but he ultimately does. This guy's the voice of Michael Caine. This is the voice of everyone is sacrificable for the future of the human race. We're so lucky that Anne Hathaway is American. It's just one less brilliant, brilliant top-notch actress that we don't have to worry about faking an American accent. And she can play different accents, too. So in The Martian, they're investigating Mars like the Federation does in Star Trek 400 years from now. Like, they're just pure explorers, pure scientists, which is what NASA's trying to do. If they just had more money, it's amazing what they've accomplished with, like, $70 million a year, and that which isn't, like, 1% of the military budget. All right, here we go. This is the whole slingshot thing. Yeah. Right, a wired orbit. That's good. Yeah, yeah, you're the man. That's why you're captain. <laughs> he doesn't trust Tars. Oh no, there are both robots there. Tars and Case. They just look exactly the same.
So uh, they're gonna shoot at this uh, this spaceship. Shoot it back out for the planet. I wouldn't leave you behind. <laughs> yeah, it's all a little awkward. It's a little off in this movie, but it, you you just got to take it with Nolan. It, it's just really the prestige where it just hits on all cylinders at once. We can say the same about Aronofsky, I think. Yeah, okay, so my main criticism is they have all these shots where the camera's just on the fixed wing shooting forward, and you just have the model uh, spaceship with a green screen. Um, that's uh, from the Star Trek days, guys. Come on. How oh, do they add a black hole to the equation? Oh, look how beautiful that is. Yeah, the black hole ends up being the wormhole. And that's part of Kip Thorne's theory, is that there's a relationship between black holes and wormholes. Because we don't know if wormholes exist 100%, but we know black holes do. And they rip through space-time in a way we can hardly imagine. More shaking around in the cockpit. Yeah, just not filmed as dynamically as The Martian. Which is weird to say. These two directors. So, you know, think about gravity this way. We live on a planet, a relatively flat planet. But imagine if, in addition to how it exists that we couldn't dig and we couldn't fly or climb. We could only walk on the surface of the planet. We would experience the planet, and we experience enough for the most part, except when climbing mountains, as a two-dimensional surface. But when you see that it's actually a globe, it becomes three-dimensional. In order to apply that to what's going on with fourth-dimensional space-time, which is what they're tackling in this movie among other things, <laughs> those cheapo uh, spaceship shots. I think they uh, make up for it a little bit, coming up here. But in the scenario I just told you, where we're living in two dimensions, but the world is actually three dimensions, just tack one on, where we are living in three dimensions, indeed. But there's a fourth. It's as if we live in a circular or a globular world, but that is itself wrapped around another dimension. That's how you have to think about it. Very graceful. <laughs> Very efficient. <laughs> What's he, German? You know, as he said earlier, it's like putting a giant rock in the middle of a trampoline and putting an ant on the trampoline. It would all seem... You know, very flat and two-dimensional to the end. You know, it'd have to get very, very close to the rock to realize that there's any sort of curvature going on because of its weight and its mass. That's what they're dealing with here. So, you know, having not seen Interstellar, uh, well, since well before I saw, you know, The Martian a bunch of times, I thought I remembered that the aesthetic of The Martian took a little from this, but it's actually pretty distinct. 
And with these dark, almost black and white color filters, which, you know, with the Martian, you got to go bright, dark orange and red, which is amazing. Um, I actually think the Martian suits look both badass and more realistic. These look like uh, stormtroopers from Star Wars. Yeah, some people thought that, you know, Case and whatever the other robot is called, it just seemed completely impractical. But up here, it's lifting stuff, and when, you know, but when it has to sprint, that's when you're like, uh, that's just, you know, they figured out the most important function, (laughs) which is, in case of emergency, grab shit and run as fast as possible. Is this man? I can't remember. Those are mountains, oh, right. They're waves, yeah. Right, <laughs> no, they wouldn't pick this up on the computer. And, uh, um, but the best stuff is on the planets. Certainly the most memorable stuff, this thing. And because uh, I think they, lo- they, uh, they lose um, the other scientists here. And then, of course, the Matt Damon betrayal. <laughs> That's what's great about a tidal wave that big. You can literally just animate it by hand, and it just looks gorgeous, like straight out of a, a Japanese painting. You know, they they have a few short stabs at making one of these planets work. And... uh Oh, here comes Case to go get her. Um, you know, Matt Damon has to deal with like you know four years of of solo survival. You know, these guys can barely handle a couple of bishops. But the you know, it was important to sell in the Martian that those astronauts had experience for sure in space, even if that was their first time on Mars. Uh. Uh-uh. Oh man, he's carrying her. Exactly. Run fast and carry shit. It's the most important thing. Oh, uh, they only have one, so. Wait, they're just leaving the dude? What the hell? Yeah, Hans Zimmer totally doing the, uh. Yeah. Melodramatic, if modernist, uh, aesthetic to the music. Sorry, people, just watch it. The action looks great, as always, with Nolan. Or as usually with Nolan, I should say. What, they lost, uh. They lost their guy. More, more, uh, fixed wing shots. I don't know what he's doing. I guess this looks real, you know. It's just tough because you know when it's CGI. It looks amazing. It looks like what you want, you know, what you want water to look like. But it's all little, like liquid metal, uh, more than water. Water is almost impossible because the detail you need for the for the waves and the wake, it just would take forever to animate that. Uh, this guy, they're clearly taken through real water. Uh, I don't know how they did this. Some sort of tracking device on a boat, or or it's being held out on like a pole. 
uh, in front of a boat, perhaps? Nolan, outside of Inception, known for his love of practical effects and his mastery of them, for sure. Light a train. Yeah. Why'd you leave me? Right. It's easy for her to go after him about being obsessed about going home because she wants to be with her man who she's not revealing who thinks she thinks is still alive on one of the planets. Decades. Right. It screws up their whole timetable. Yeah, McConaughey. Mmm. Alright, they're unable to communicate. Is this all a feint? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, I think not only is Plan B bullshit by Michael Caine about lifting people off of Earth, but this, I believe this whole mission is a feint. And it's a two-pronged feint. One, that they can sell to top officials that they're actually trying something proactive, even though he doesn't think it'll work. And two, to get his daughter out of the picture, he really believes in that. Right. That's the thing. He, you know, he he's being selfish about Murph and, and his son and so forth with the time thing, but the bottom line is, they get caught in too many of these gravity wells. Earth will be well extinct before they finish their mission. Oh, right, here, here he's, he's hypothesizing about black holes. Time is relative. It can stretch and it can squeeze, but it can't run backwards, right? And this is the whole debate about relativity and quantum physics. It's amazing. They just put all of this emotion behind exposition. It's, uh... Uh, the beings that led us here. So he's a believer. They communicate through gravity, right? And gravitational waves... Uh, you know, is what Kip Thorne has known before, and that both the black, you know, the original singularity uh, of the Big Bang, as well as you know, quote unquote, smaller black holes, give off huge gravitational waves. But the waves, um, you know, uh, intensity is so low that there's like light years between the you know the crest and the trough, essentially. But you knew about relativity. I can't believe they're going to go away with this dialogue. I, I love it as a sci-fi guy. But these two actors just said, it's just going to do it all. My daughter was 10 years old. She pretty much was not much older than 10 in filming this. You know, the way these guys form a platonic bond is, is a beautiful thing. And Hathaway gives up her life. Right. Do I have to tell your girl the world's ending? Cooper. Men there too. Yeah. It's the deep boom of the wave that you need to get. I'm going to spark it. You know, it's just, 
it's not the firefly you know there's just something about being up on the bridge of the firefly in these situations you know that these uh (laughs) fixed wing shot you know that these little shuttle pods although cool not quite the same um they do a great job with the g-forces they're obviously you know they obviously put um uh that whole rig of the bridge and the main four seats or whatever on the... Oh, no, he's still alive. Oh, he was waiting and he got old. Oh, I love this. How many years? 23 years. Oh, man. This is so cool. It's just great to see a movie where, you know, the effects of relativity on humans is is fully realized because it's such... A constant in science fiction, obviously, as you'd expect and as it should be. Right, I knew the theory. This is the psychology of of relativity. So why wouldn't he just go and cry out rather than wait, you know, 24 years for them or whatever? I think the thing that never happened in this movie, and they tried to force it with Matt Damon, is the creepy aspect, you know, with Moon and, uh, you know, original 2001. Oh, this is where it gets super real with these messages. Um, and, and Solaris, you know, something dark, sunshine happens within the crew or from outside the crew. It didn't, not necessary here, but, uh, you're sort of like waiting for it. <laughs> you say finished second in school, but she's still giving me C's. This is it. He's looking at nothing right here. Looking like ben- Benedict Cumberbatch. They must have someone acting off stage or showing him something. Because he's responding to every beat. Name's Lois. So this is... Oh, man. So this is one of the first messages that was left when he went into the gravity well on the planet. Oh, here's Casey Affleck. Uh, Jesse, that's my name. <laughs> yeah, it's his grandson. <laughs> yeah, Sam Rockwell with his fake wife, who he's programmed with, pro- programmed to think exists, you know, and he sees that his kid is not his kid, waving it. Waves pathetically, just like that. Oh, did Jesse die? Oh, Grandpa died. Did he say Jesse died? Oh, wow, that kid gets dead. Thanks a lot, guys. (laughs) You put Jesse in it. Right, we don't see Murph much. Yeah, I like how the son assumes he's not listening to it, but it's it's therapy for himself. 
Murph doesn't want to talk to him, but when she does, I think she has a feeling that he is going to see it. Yeah, and the, and the fact that the son has to let him go. You know, he's more complicated than maybe we thought. Uh, so is this goodbye? So, his son says goodbye. He doesn't know if he's ever going to see Murph. Look at McConaughey just killing it by moving his head. Oh, oh how heartbreaking that is. Well, there it is. You know what? She does look like Murph. I'm an idiot. I don't know why it took me a while to appreciate Justin. You son of a bitch. They do look a lot alike. <laughs> I'm a moron. All right, sorry, people. Although, yeah, Murph could go a little bit. So mad at you. You know, I wonder if she studied Murph's... They had to have filmed that first, I think, with, with young Murph to set the tone for the rest of the shoot. Um, in that Jessica Chastain was either there or watching, you know, dailies of Mackenzie Foy's performance. The way she looks at him and she's angry and disappointed, but loves... She's great. Oh my god. This is... That's Hollywood right there. Everything is falling apart at home, which just makes... Oh, this is a great transition. Yeah, this... That transmission is, you know, live to live as much as can be. Uh, is almost the only way you could go back to this. Um world after being in the interstellar world for so long so is he in a wheelchair now i guess that's a, an easy way to sell michael kane who seems ageless i think michael kane is much older than he appears he, he seems like he's he's in his 60s i think he's like in late 70s or 80s they put on a little bit of prosthetic on the forehead and around the eyes and the cheeks to emphasize that he's a little older Yeah. So I'm never sure what his motives are for, for the fake plan B. Fourth iteration. She's still calling him professor. Yeah, he just wants to run the same numbers over and over and over again. And it's the sort of mysticism that solves the entire thing at the end. It's amazing. After all this hard science... But it's not mysticism in, in the, like, you know, fantasy, magical way. It's, you know, people being able to tap into a higher power of transcendence, of, of knowledge, you know, in order to send a message across time to save a world. It's beautiful. So now that I've made the obvious realization that Murph works at least as well for Chastain as Hathaway, if not better... This is opening a whole line of new thought, uh, which I will get back to, about why they cast Hathaway as someone who might be an older Murph. So here's the, the science stuff. Um, you know, uh, interestingly, Chastain seems like sort of a sensitive, quiet brainiac. Uh, I loved her as the commander of the Hermes, being just a badass leader who was still brilliant, but not sort of the science nerd in Interstellar. Um, I'm sorry, in The Martian. 
and Zero Dark Thirty, she was kind of both, and I kind of appreciate that role more. She's starting to sniff that his his equations are bullshit, and that he never expected this to work. We must confront the reality of interstellar travel. What is she watching? Yeah. So, you know, it's not that this movie has a non-traditional structure in terms of like the number of the acts. Um, and certainly the middle part here is, as usual, character building stuff. Fast, slow, fast, slow, fast, slow. Drama mixed with action, a little humor. But as I mentioned before, the first act is, is the best act of the movie. It has nothing to do with the rest of the movie, just that young Murph and Matthew McConaughey are spectacular together. Um, but they're still able to get sort of a second helping of major character development here among the surviving crew members. So this is where they're deciding, you know, if they can only go to one more planet, do we go to the planet where we think man might be alive or the planet that seems more like a shirt thing? Gargantua. Sorry, I'm just following along in this dialogue a little bit here. Um, it's a while since I've seen this. The so black hole is m- making all of these planets sterile, basically. You know, it's ironic uh, that the wormhole, the only wormhole they know and have access to, takes them to all these barren worlds. But we find out that's not why the wormhole w- was connected to this particular place. It- it's the black hole itself, not the planets. <laughs> He's remarkable. And Hathaway doing everything possible to not give give away their relationship. Matthew McConaughey could sniff right through it. Right. Right. So they've got Matt Damon telling them to go to his planet, I believe is who they're referring to. And Edmonds, who, spoiler alert, is dead. She's hoping against hope. Oh, Matthew McConaughey knows. Oh, uh, yeah. I forget how how Double M uh, came across that data or knowledge, whether she revealed it to him off screen or he just figured it out, being a perceptive, emotional guy himself. Right. Now she's getting, now she wants to go with the dictates of the heart and, and put aside the scientific theory. Love isn't something that we invented. It's observable, powerful. Has to mean something. And what's interesting here is he's making his decisions subjectively because of his family. She's because of Edmonds. So they're trying to use science to quote unquote prove, uh, you know, like what are essentially emotional instincts. And that's part of why everything goes wrong from here until mostly the end. Right, so this is the whole love is a cosmic phenomenon thing, which I'm I'm very open to the idea of. Uh, I'm not sure in this situation, you know, she's being totally, uh, totally rational. But being Anne Hathaway, she's able to convey all that complexity on her face. God, I could just watch her act all day. Here she goes, starts to cry. Right, the tiniest possibility of seeing him excites me. But that doesn't mean I'm wrong. There's enough science um, backing her up. Amelia is her name. Amelia Brand. 
Right, it might, yeah. Matthew McConaughey, that's exactly why you need him to be the captain. And the same, this is the same thing with Chastain as Commander Lewis and the Martian. You need them to be, you know, cooler heads prevail. Although in both cases, they ultimately make a very tough and controversial call um, in the Martian to go back and get Matt Damon with the harebrained scheme from Rich Purnell. Here, the, you know, black hole maneuver or whatever. Um, here's them losing food uh, again on the planet, you know. And in both cases, a specific instinct, emotional or not, turns out to be the right choice, but not necessarily for the right reason, as as I think Michael Caine mentioned before. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> I love this. Casey Affleck's wife plays a racetrack, uh, who's one of the hot, young, badass, tough, uh, you know, pilots in Battlestar Galactica started as a total minor side character, became one of the central parts of the crew, um, is involved in multiple mutinies on board the ship. It's, it's just a great young actress. Um, although, you know, I guess she maybe was, in, in, you know, old enough here to seem like a, a grown mother. The dust, the cost from the dust, yeah. Jessica Chastain knows this is not, not going to last long. And what's great is the scenes back at home don't feel forced. Uh, you know, I talked about how Chastain in the past, or I should say I talked about in the past how Chastain isn't greatly written for uh, um, in this movie, but it's really only in some of the scenes with Michael Caine and her not being able to figure out that he's full of shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, he decides not to go after Edmonds. Um but, uh, you know, when it, when it's Casey Affleck and uh, the woman who plays Racetrack on Battlestar and Jessica Chastain as the family, you totally buy it and you need that family drama there. It would have been interesting to take out all of the stuff on Earth from the time they left up until the very, very end when he reconnects with Murph at the house. You could have cut out a lot of minutes um, and it would have had more mystery but I think they felt that they needed more narrative oomph and character oomph, and Chastain was just the person to do it. Uh, is this work where uh, Brandis is dying and he tells her the truth on his deathbed? Right, this is the heel turn that I'm not crazy about, but I just love these two actors so much at this point. I can live with it. It's amazing how many times the same actors have worked with uh, Nolan. Bell, I think four times. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, at least two. Michael Caine, at least four. Hathaway, a couple. Yeah, Michael Caine playing uh, sad, miserable, depressed. It's just never not, you know, affecting and interesting. I wanted you to believe that your father... would come back uh, yeah. nothing to forgive I really do have a whole new outlook on Chastain after the Martian my dad had to bring me around to this one here it is I lied to you what there was no need for him because it was going to fail everything's going to fail yeah. Right. He, he thinks both plan A and plan B are bullshit.
look at the focus on focus right up on his face. And the way they shoot this, it's the same angle on both actors. So they did this entire scene together. It doesn't mean they didn't do it multiple times and, and cut it together. But um, but these two are able to do f- you know full-length conversation together. Uh, without you know having to have one side go then the other side go and one side go it's very underrated still same two shots no she's angry she's sad she's confused can't leave needed him to die though so that she would become unfettered and angry to the point of being even more driven So she records a message for Anne Hathaway. Wants to tell him the truth, but can't. Doesn't help the mission, whatever the mission is, for her to tell the truth. So, anyways, Brand, did you know? He told you right. What is the the machine erase this message? Oh, yeah, people's uh, evil AI here. I can't remember. It was all a sham. You left us here. Right, there's the shuttle. We're looking from the, you know, larger engine slash life pod. Um, yeah, unclear whether the, the, the AI was going to delete that or not. But anyways, you know, looking at it now, where Murph could really be a younger version of Chastain or Anne Hathaway, it's so obvious why they did that. Um, not totally obvious how the roles got divvied up between those two women. Um, it just has to do with their personalities a little bit. They wanted Hathaway, you know, kicking some arse, uh, uh, although we know that Chastain now can kick arse for sure. But it's because... In the absence of Murph, and now that Murph is, you know, not as old as him, but older than Anne Hathaway, I think, is supposed to be, and Hathaway becomes like his surrogate daughter, which really helps explain the very, very, very end, which I will criticize. Okay, here's the classic interstellar shot. Um, you know, this looks as good as anything in The Martian. Hard to know what was sets and uh, what was green screened and what was both. It looks fantastic. Uh, I'm not sure where you'd find this topography, you know, like northern Russia or northern Canada, something like that, perhaps. But, you know, the fact, and they never say this, which is great. You know, no one's know when to do this uh, and when to do something and when specifically not to do something. And here it was for us to just see that Hathaway looked enough like and acted enough like Murph to become his surrogate daughter. And at the very, very end, we were not sure why he's going back for her. Spoiler alert. Um, that would be one of the major reasons because Murph at that point was old and almost dying. And, you know, having been so far in the future um, and Hathaway um, who gets stranded would be, you know, his only living heir or whatever you want to say. Uh, that we're never really sure what happens to uh, to Casey Affleck and family. I guess that was Jesse, the little boy, so he didn't die. <laughs> Sorry for traumatizing you guys before with that. All right, so whose pod is this exactly? Oh, is this the fourth guy? Why has he been uh, frozen? Oh, is this Matt Damon? Sorry, there's a, there's so much going on in this movie. Um, I tend to get caught up in the character stuff uh, rather than the little plot twist. This is definitely a trademark Nolan movie in the sense of uh, of having lots of plot twists, some of which are cool, some of which are cringeworthy, but he never stops. 
So the fact that Matt Damon is basically the evil version of himself from The Martian in this movie, you know, I'm sure he had The Martian booked. So to have two experiences of being a marooned astronaut, back-to-back years, where the personality was totally different. Yeah, oh man, immediately emotional. This is why you need Matt Damon, because he has such a small time on screen, but such a crucial role. Um Look at this. He doesn't cry this much in the whole, the whole Mar. He doesn't cry this much in the whole Martian movie, and that's what I've sort of come to realize comparing them back to back. And hopefully, you listen to my Martian commentary too, if you haven't already. Um, is that this is actually a far more realistic portrayal of someone who is stranded on a planet? Now, with Mars, he had enough. Um, in the Martian, I should say, on Mars, he had enough equipment and he was close enough to Earth that the possibility of getting rescued, while very minute, was still possible. In this case, he would have no way of thinking he'd ever get rescued. Certainly not for, until many, many generations or centuries later. So it's not a great one-to-one comparison, but just from a personality standpoint, his how emotional he is, how broken up he is, the level of PTSD, the feeling that he was never going to wake up, he was going to sleep forever, and then ultimately his uh, trying to sabotage the mission and go back to Earth, which makes him a bad guy, I suppose, even though he's right that he's picked up that plan A's bullshit, and these two, McConaughey and Hathaway, haven't <laughs> picked up that plan A's bullshit. So, so here, okay, so here, here's, here's how it all comes together, okay? So Michael Caine sends Matthew McConaughey out to the stars in plan a and there's a number of reasons he does it one is for his daughter he knows that, that anne hathaway is in love with edmonds who's on one of the planets and also his daughter also you know might have figured him out as chastain did did or does um so maybe to get her out of the picture i think she just really wanted to you know rescue her man this is a great shooting here you know, they did this with zero actual, uh, you know, environmental landscape work. It's all in sets in the Martian. Um, but, you know, I mean, the technology is just there, even though this had like 65% larger budget or whatever than the Martian. So he's a scientist here. He's scienting the shit out of stuff, but in the back of his mind, planning to, you know, say, hey, screw this mission. I want to use whatever fuel we have to get back home. So he's lying to them about how positive the readings are in order to throw them off the trail, I believe, if I remember correctly. And uh, as I was saying, this is a much more realistic... Oh, there's the dead robot. Uh, degeneration. Ammonia crystals. Is it possible he killed his own robot? I'll have to try and follow along here. But yeah, Mark Watney in The Martian is what we hope the most strong and you know, moral and ethical and brave and so forth person could do in an extreme circumstance. But that was the conceit of The Martian. That was the conceit, was that you believe Matt Damon here in that role as Mark Watney. Um, He would just be that guy. He would just get it done or at least be smart enough to have the possibility of getting it done. Oh, here it is. Oh, shit. Oh. She does get the message. Is this what flips everything? Or did they cut out the part where she says, uh, 
Yeah, they they cut it out. They cut out the part where. Oh, here it is. Oh, right. Anne Hathaway knew that there was no Plan B, or really Plan A. Yeah, the whole thing was a sham. Right. And left us here to suffocate, to starve. This is great. We're seeing more than from, from the original recording, I believe. Did my father know too? No, he did not know. Oh my god, Dad. I just want to know. If you left me here to die. Oh my god. Yeah, Justine. I mean, it's unbelievable. She's amazing. I'm an idiot for not loving her earlier as an actress. She, now, Brand's going to say, I didn't know, I think. You know, and Chastain to also be in the Martian in a similar but very different role too. I do. He wait, how does man know? If Brand's daughter doesn't know. And nope. He where I wanted to establish a, a a like a right the gravity equation. You wanted to establish a, a beachhead or whatever they call it. On these other planets. Recreation couldn't reconcile relativity with quantum mechanics. Yeah, that's all of science, is the, the inability to do that. That's okay. You need to see into a black hole. Right, naked singularity. Okay, we may get back to that. There's a lot of plot stuff here. Right, okay, here's the explain. Right, the pearl is the singularity covered by the oyster, exactly. You can never see it because you get sucked in and then you're below the what they call the event horizon. So here's Coop theorizing about the black hole for the first time. Right, so what was the other way to save the human race? A colony? Oh, or they're like, they were going to like grow people? Yeah, they were trying to basically... Yeah, he was just buying time for, for colonizing this new solar system. Um, was older brand played by uh, Michael Caine. Right, evolution can transcend. It's just another barrier. Empathy. This is great dialogue here. Right. And the question is, does does it, you know? Can we forgive it all, even if it's true? If it's a monstrous lie, unforgivable. Yep. Ends just by the means. So how does man know all this? And the thing is, he wasn't necessarily wrong. It seems impossible to save the planet. And we'll argue in the end, right? His fucking arrogance. We'll argue in the end whether they actually do save everyone on, on Earth. Doesn't seem possible. Even with this pseudo-happy ending. Their case is hopeless. And yet, I think man here ends up wanting to go back to Earth. I can't. They're both in denial. Okay, so she didn't know Brand. Maybe she could sniff it. Junior Brand here, and out the way. Uh, right, the solution was correct. It's worthless. So is that what comes through the bookcase late with the dust is the, is the answer? So she's now thinking of black holes too. Everyone's leaving. Things are getting worse. 
I know. It, it's almost scarier for the lack of violence and barbarism, you know, which we see so much in like zombie apocalypse and even just normal apocalypse movies. Yep. Panic won't help. Is this her husband? I'm not really sure. Yeah, she says Bren gave up on it. I just think he had a lesser mind and wasn't willing to admit it. He was trying to create a colony, or colonies, uh, overseas, if you will. Uh, uh, yeah, Mackenzie Foy. Yeah, she's like right between Chastain and Hathaway's face. It's brilliant. Right, the ghost, I was scared of it. The books would make things. The books would move, create dust um, patterns. When it goes, because it felt felt like a person, which it is. Okay, so one thing I really want to work on from now until the end is exactly when and how all of this information gets communicated between Matthew McConaughey and the various Murphs. She's still thinking about it. It's amazing after all the science work, and I think that was important, was that the apparent failure of decades of science work, of which she was involved at the top level, that she now has to start going back to young Murph, of going by instinct and creative thinking and so forth. Yeah. He's bringing up the black hole, and he wants to go home. What is David WL01 here? Uh, an older spinning black hole. A gentle singularity. That's why it's not sucking everything in. Yeah. Yeah. Mmm, might survive the horizon. Yeah. You can't know anything after the event horizon of the black hole. That's the whole point. It's not just a visual thing. It's an informational thing. Right, okay, so relaying quantum data through the singularity, where are they getting these technology from? <laughs> Tars knows he's getting thrown in the black hole, but Matthew McConaughey is going to be the one to end up doing it. So, in a standard movie, you'd pretty much go from here to the long climax involving Murph and him in the black hole. Um... Oh, uh, so Matt Damon killed this guy first. Yeah. Uh, but instead they do the Matt Damon subplot, which was very qu- cringeworthy the first time. Didn't love the second time. But now, because of The Martian, is actually more interesting because it just shows you his range playing an astronaut marooned in two different movies in two completely different ways. Uh, and e- even though he's in you know 40% of The Martian and 4% of this movie... You know, I mean, Anne Hathaway might be six man, six man off the bench, but uh, Matt Damon is, is seventh or or eighth. If you're not feeling so charitable, right? The, the different uses of tars and case are not clear. It's a great landscape. So you know, they did the right thing, which is to say, we're going to spend a lot of time on a single planet. The first planet's going to be a water planet. That's actually really easy to do. You just throw it in water, and then you create the fake waves that we talked about. <laughs> so is Case going into the uh, the black hole? 
Uh, there's a lot of balls in the air. That's the thing about The Martian. It was all about saving a guy, and it was set essentially in the modern day with what is basically modern technology or could be modern technology. And so it was just all about the character drama. There was never a scientific or plot point uh, or hybrid between the two uh, where you really got confused, even on the first viewing. There's so much mystery combined with exposition in this movie that character drama just sort of takes a backseat a little bit. And that's why the whole thing relies on the Murph-McConaughey um, relationship, the Coop-Murph relationship. Okay, this is, this is where the chill, chill-worthiness starts coming back in. Yeah, yeah Casey Affleck's wife is, is sick, I think. Oh, poor Racetrack. I love Racetrack. <laughs> so there it is. Oh, God. Look at that face. Mom lets me play in here. I don't touch her stuff. Uh, So we finally get some real CGI ship stuff, which makes it unclear why they just had the fixed camera on the wing earlier. Now they're going full science fiction. Maybe they just wanted to save it. I'm totally cool with that. Um, Leah Cairns, by the way, plays Casey Affleck's wife. The wife of, uh, I guess that would be what, the daughter-in-law of Matthew McConaughey? So he's going, why did he break apart this robot? Here we go. Iron Man. <laughs> One of the best parts of the bar shed is the whole final rescue climax. And he goes, Iron Man, pokes a hole in its suit, starts shooting all over space. It's awesome. You can't program my fear of death. Okay, so this whole scene is very reminiscent tonally of in Battlestar Galactica miniseries before they know it's like the end of the miniseries before they know that Cylons look like humans uh the the commander played by Edward James almost gets stuck um in a uh like an arms cache with a sketchy arms dealer and uh the arms dealer you just can tell is threatening even though you don't know is a Cylon uh, it, it, you know, he starts sweating, he says it's allergies, you know, and he's unloading all of this high philosophy, you know, and he call, calls the, and Eddie almost, I think, refers to, to Leo Ben, who's the Cylon, we don't know as a Cylon, as an arms dealer philosopher. Oh, does this thing blow? I think he rigs this whole thing to blow. Oh, man. Yeah, and he's still philosophizing. It's a way of self-rationalizing. I thought I was prepared to die. Truth is. I never really considered the possibility. Which is funny because the Martian is uh, more realistic in terms of the code of astronauts, which is that in space, you're just doing things to... uh... Uh Uh-oh. And, oh, boom! In space, you're you're taught, you know, to stay busy enough to to not die or to not think about dying. You now this is the blight. Everyone's getting sick. You know, they had to they had to speed up the timetable a little bit um, in terms of. Uh... Oh yeah, what's the mission? Oh yeah, right. He was lying about this place being habitable. I'm sorry. Oh man, why does he need the ship? <laughs> that's cool this is a great shot here i remember this in the theater them sliding down the thing it's a little lone survivor action 
yeah, the fast intercutting starts, boom, 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 boom. And, you know, even though there's somehow 45 minutes left, you know, all of a sudden it's gone into full tension mode on both sides of the universe. Oh, Jesse what, did, did die. Jesse did die. Yeah, their son. Who did he just punch? <laughs> yeah, violence. The violence of men. Oh, women women can talk things out, man. We have to hit each other. A bunch of barbarians, are we? Right. So his conclusion day one is this place has nothing. Mark Watney is on Mars. His conclusion is... I'm going to science the shit out of it because I'm a botanist. I'm going to grow shit on Mars. It's uh, so cool he got to play both sides. You fucking coward. The opposite of what he is in, in The Martian. I saw making Martian comparisons. Just enjoy Matt Damon playing the, the bad guy that you don't see coming. I think I did see it coming, actually. Oh, this is great. A little Batman action here. A little just tussling. Bring the camera back, rolling all over the place. I'm the, I can't remember what his mission uh, was. Maybe it's to go to the other planet, Edmund's planet. <laughs> Pray that Daddy comes. Yeah, yeah, he's never was coming back. Right, Murph has taken it on herself to save everybody. Dad didn't even try. Dad abandoned us. Yeah, Casey's starting to get sick too. So I think she she burns down the crops to force him to move underground because it's the only the only safe strategy. You don't get come back. Yeah, I mean under the great strain. Yeah, Leah Cairns is actually gorgeous in real life. They have to do a lot of work on her to make her seem older and sicker. Or it's just sick. She's beautiful as as racetrack and Battlestar a few years before this. That's okay. Still beautiful. This is great. The the pressurization battle. <laughs> it was a good uh. Boom. Oh, they start smashing the the, uh, the helmets. There's a 50-50 chance. <laughs> Those are the best eyes I've had in years. Oh, boy. Yep. Yep, this isn't The Martian. This is people really disagreeing and lying to each other and, and being horrible people. You know? A- any Any tensions that arise in The Martian are you know over what what's the right thing to do but everyone's trying to do the right thing here maybe a man is trying to you were never tested like i was few men have been this is great okay so here we've got you know the, the uh hand zimmer version of uh clint manzel who i meant to uh name check earlier when i talked about the chronos quartet and that different sort of composition he does here and the final you know 40 45 minutes Climax involving Murph and uh, Cooper is uh, so, so, so much more powerful because of the, the music. Right, everyone's trying to save everybody, but everyone's lying about th- what they can do and what they want to do. So how the hell does... Does the robot save him? How the hell does uh, Cooper get out of this? So he wants to... I'm here for you. Right, I guess this is why I didn't like um, this part originally. It was just the long, long, long monologues and soliloquies of Matt Damon's character after hardly knowing him. The one leading up to the battle was great because he was building the tension, but now, you know, why is he just... 
You know, why is he tormenting this guy instead of getting out of there? This guy's a nihilist, basically. <laughs> well, we believe in nothing. Show us the money, Lebowski. Alright, do not go gentle on that. Good night. Uh, I can see that one coming. A mile away. The 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 color filter between here in, in the snow white snow world and the dust planet of Earth is uh, just perfectly balanced in terms of both color and uh, exposure. They're both washed out, but they're both very bright, which is classic for sci-fi these days. Um, it's definitely grainier here uh, here on Earth, more gritty. Oh, he needs to put his transmitter on. Is that what that is? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right, conveniently pulled off and conveniently pulled back on. Boom. That looked like a beast jumping in the X-Men. So this, okay, so this is the other shuttle. I guess there are two. One of them was, was Matt Damon's. Um, was man's shuttle. Look at this. Oh, chest aid beat a badass. This is awesome. You're going, what is she doing? This looks amazing. You know, the mirrored planet. <laughs> That's the thing. You know, even though there's some weirdness up to this point, in the very, very end is questionable. Everything, you know, this, the final third is so much better than most final thirds of movies. Even movies that are great that nailed the first third in the middle act. That third act, it's so hard not to be cheesy. And this has action, but it's more action in terms of movement, a physical movement. It's mostly brain stuff. We get the teamwork on both sides. Uh, he's thinking of, of course, young Murph would be the last thing he would think of before death. I mean, this, this like, Oregon synth stuff from Zimmer, you'd never hear this, you know. So to those people who say composers can't grow, you know, John Williams always sounds the same. Hans Zimmer has really conquered a large swath of uh, soundtrack subgenres. I, I, I never would have guessed it. And I think he does, they would nominate it, but didn't win Best Soundtrack. And that was one thing I was really focused on in 2014. I was like, you got to give it to Zimmer for... for uh, for Interstellar. Now he lost it for Gladiator, but he lost to uh to Yo Yo Ma from Crouching Tiger. That 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 was a heavyweight battle. That could have gone either way. But uh this is one of those few soundtracks that I I would and do, you know, occasionally listen to all the way through or parts of. And there's only about a dozen, a dozen and a half I can say of that. They go super minimalist on the computer system computer systems and that's part of why they make case and, and tars you know such tactile utilitarian style robots um i'm sorry man was lying uh-oh Yeah, he blows it. Yeah. Ugh. You didn't need an explosion in this movie. But 
Oh, did man not intend that? I always thought man, man intended. I think man didn't intend for him to investigate that stuff and therefore lead to the explosion. Safety first, Cooper. Um, you know, a science fiction trope that even though we don't spend a whole lot of time with TARS and Case, that in some ways they're more human than the humans. You know, I always want to be thinking about that with science fiction. Oh, it wasn't the ship. It was the compound that blew up. Right. So here's, you know, they're trying to make it feel practical by not going crazy angles. You know, with science fiction, you just got to do it. Right, here's another wing shot. They love that wing shot. But right, but now we get the we get the wide panning, you know, dark night um circle helicopter shots here. Uh-oh. There's Tars. Look at this. Oh, this is awesome. Oh, he's got four limbs, right, instead of three. This looks amazing. I love this design. Uh, it looks goofy at first. When they said he got him aboard, uh, I guess they just land. Romilly. Oh right, right, right. Okay, so the ship is the wider ring with the with the engine and the and the living areas. They have these mini shuttles, and both of the shuttles are designed to fit into the uh, you know larger ship. And that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> and ninety nine percent of the time, in case one gets blown up or one has to go somewhere, one has to go somewhere else. But in this case, they didn't plan on you know one of the astronauts going rogue and hijacking it, and then trying to hijack the ship. How do they do this? They, they they take them out. This is so cool. This is the sci-fi space opera stuff. This is awesome. Yeah, I, you know, I think there was just so much going on in my first viewing of this. This is totally a movie. I needed a second and now third viewing. It, it's awesome. It's an all-time great science fiction movie. I'm not going to say all-time great movie, but all-time great, you know, at least in the last 15, 20 years. Yep, so Matt Damon screws up somehow with the ship. Look at that. Right. And this is exactly how it would work. Yeah. The the consoles and the seats would be moving all over the place. So here's the dig in. You know, they set this up two hours ago. But with Chastain's performance, there's the clock. Oh, right. That's gravitational waves causing the second hand to not move. You know, because gravitational waves, which is what we talked about, heavy gravity. Like, super fast speed slows time down. So there's gravitational waves going on in that room that's literally slowing time down and can be seen on a watch. And they ran that experiment many, many decades ago, putting a watch in space, you know, moving it on a ship as fast as possible. And then they found that it was, you know, a few milliseconds or, or, you know, a half a second or something behind Earth's clocks in that proved Einstein's theory of relativity, even though he came up with it decades and decades before they were able to test it. Unauthorized. Oh, they, they cut him out? Oh. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's a pressurization issue. Did they help cause this, or does this just work in their favor? So, yeah, I think the idea is... Uh, they found a way to lock a uh, man out um, of the uh, auto-docking procedures from the Spaceship Endurance, which we even talked about the name. It's pretty obvious. Um, this is great-looking CGI. It's it's much different than uh, than Moon um, or uh, 
um, The Martian. I guess it's a little bit more like Moon. If Moon had been a bigger, more epic, high-budget movie. And so Matt Damon here is trying to auto uh, to I'm sorry to manually dock, and a human in these circumstances they just can't put the equations together, you know, fast enough. That doesn't seem to be his specialty anyway. It's not sure what his specialty is, unlike The Martian, where he's very clearly a botanist. Bam! Oh, I love that little effect. That's all you need to see. It's just the docking clamps won't clamp. Right, imperfect contact. I really try and get him not to open that. You know, you had to make him kind of insane, hence the, you know, pseudo-philosophical, hence the pseudo-philosophical ramblings earlier on. He's not even listening to them. I think he shut them out. Really quickly, I mixed up plan A and plan B. Plan A was to supposedly leave the surface of the Earth with a lot of the population. This is plan B. And in fact, Michael Caine's character, Brand, did believe in plan B in terms of colonization. Uh, I must have missed that during the millions of exposition. But, uh, you know, they sent the Endurance... Um, this, you know, the larger spaceship that they, that the lander's attached to, uh, is carrying 5,000 frozen embryos, um, which isn't a terrible idea. And, uh, you know, the, the villainization of Kane, of Michael Kane playing older brands. Uh, here we go. This is not going to be good for anybody. Yeah. They keep saying the same shot over and over again. <laughs> yeah. And this is why Nolan needs a lot of big names in his movies. Unlike most people, like David O. Russell, who I think can get a celebrity overload, Nolan or the Nolans know exactly what to do with them, and they need to sell these characters because there are so many and there's so much plot. You know, as big and as long as these movies are, you know, you need actors from Hathaway down to Damon to sell these roles without you know having to do much thinking as an audience member as to do they fit the roles. I don't know what he said to you. I'm taking command of the endurance. Yeah. Yeah, that's never going to happen. So plan B is still in effect. It's not about my life. This is about all mankind. That is Cyrodoy's Total silence. Crashing, destruction, fire. Amazing. Amazing. That's exactly what would happen. In fact, they're extremely lucky that the whole thing didn't blow up, and that's why they can salvage this mission in a couple different ways. So, you know, propulsion in terms of direction and speed is is what space travel is all about. And the Martian, they do it very scientifically. And the main conflict in the end in terms of getting Matt Damon is not getting him off the surface, actually, but getting the ship to rendezvous with him at the exact time and space. And uh, this is not dissimilar. Oh, is this where he, 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 yeah, he calculates the spin and starts spinning the ship to match it? This is actually similar to the to the Martian's ending in that sense. Although that was people, this is the ships. I'm not sure which is scarier or more realistic. It's necessary. Yep, you can just give those uh, corny one-liners to Matthew McConaughey because he's going to nail it. 
And that's the other reason you need big actors is to be able to deliver big, if slightly cliched lines in important parts of the movie without much exposition in terms of the character. As usual, the music <laughs> is way louder than dialogue. I'm trying to do a delicate balancing act here, people. This is no time for caution. Who's talking to him? The robot? <laughs> right, yeah. If I black out, yeah, Case is going to fly the ship. I love it. You know, they, they, this is so Star Wars, the love of the droids. The droids who, on paper, should never be able to think for themselves, but clearly are. Three degrees. This stuff is great. This is stuff you can read about in the greatest science fiction novel, but it'll never be this cool. That's why we need the movies, and why, for me, science fiction is actually the most indispensable of movie genres, as you can probably tell, and now that we're in Bizzlecast 45 or whatever uh, territory. Listen to this music. This is so Manziel from The Fountain, or, or even Requiem. But with the uh, the classic Zimmer... Uh, rhythmic variations. Here they go. This uh, music is in four. Two, three, four. Zimmer likes to use three a lot as well, but, not, but it doesn't fit this movie. Yeah, it just... It, <laughs> It doesn't quite have the connectivity of uh, of the Martian, where the people are literally out in space, you know. But it, it, whether that little pod there is is real or not, they're moving around like it is real. Looks super practical, right? Now you got to hit the jets to change the course and speed. I mean, this is you know this is hard science here. Uh, not that it can be done, but this is how you would do it. Easy, easy, big fella. Okay, retro thrusters, that means the rear thrusters. And that's going to help stabilize what they call the spin. You know, it seems obvious, but a spin and a turn are very different. You turn left with your car, you're making a turn. If your car hits ice and you try and spin the wheel, then you start spinning around in place, around an axis, either real or imagined. And that's what was happening here. Spin is much harder to take account for than other types of movement because it's centrifugal and uh, gets more, you know, <laughs> they're laughing, gets uh, quicker the further out in the circle you go. All right. They celebrate for two seconds. Everyone else is dead. Can't blame them. I thought they were dead. We're going to Gargantua. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, the planet scenes are awesome, but it is, in fact, about these two. When it's not about Murph, it's about Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey on the ship trying to make things happen. Let's be honest. In The Martian, if they failed to save Mark Watney, um, the Mars crew, that is, and if they died or survived but failed to save Watney and somewhere all of them died... It would be a horrible tragedy, uh, but it would hardly be a setback to the survival of mankind, at least on the surface. You know, here they're trying to be astronauts in severe conditions while also, you know, juggling not only the <laughs> the fate of mankind, but the fate of mankind after having been lied to and trying to come up with a new way of saving mankind when the supposedly greatest brain and leader on the planet turned out to be a fraud. 
Shall I use main engines? Nope. Here we go. Yeah. So the question is, I guess it's not a question. Um, when uh, David Ayolo, uh, before he died, was talking about the physics of a black hole and transmitting data, we have to imagine Matthew McConaughey has been thinking since that exact moment about how to do it. And this is the perfect excuse to do it. And he's able to get Anne Hathaway away. Um, and so they really frame this as not a suicidal attempt whatsoever. He is older than her, and he has someone that he's never going to probably see again, so he doesn't have to think about it as much, but he's thinking about it. Right, Edmonds. Not enough, but I have a plan. I think he, you're right, doesn't he tell Ed Hathaway? Okay, here's the exposition. So they get pulled to the black hole. Right, the slingshot's always the move, like in The Martian. That's how you gain or, or lose speed on purpose. Okay, time slippage. God, it's beautiful. Look at that. Yeah, I think it's like 50 or 60 years that are going to pass, ultimately. I'm sorry, Cooper. I love their platonic relationship. And now having made the Murph connection, uh, the end makes much more sense. Okay, Ranger 2 is a rocket booster. Right, so okay, so using oh, so they can put multiple shuttles on. Uh, is that the case? And they're going to use some of it for thrust and some of it for <laughs> other things. Yeah, he says TARS has to leave for weight and gravity reasons, but that is not exactly right. Yeah, this is the caring for your droids thing. All right, he's a robot. <laughs> yeah, it's an order. You asshole. <laughs> right, Tars is on board. It's like Kevin Spacey. You know, you don't think it the whole time, but Kevin Spacey as the weird AI in the moon ends up being a, a good guy when the, when when the chips are down. There's only one card left to play, and Matthew McConaughey is trying to play multiple cards here. Without any, essentially. It's not any more or less brave than what Matt Damon did on Mars, or in getting rescued on Mars in The Martian, but it is equally ballsy um, and equally courageous. And, uh, you know, no one knows how to shoot this stuff. I mean, you know, he's, he's grown in his CGI work over the years, and it's nice to see that. And a lot, a lot of people like, you know, Lucas and... and um, Peter Jackson, they do so well earlier in their career, and then they lose their way. No one sort of built up to this. I like it. Three, two, one, boom. Mark. I always wondered why they used Mark instead of like Go. Um, you know the whole Alpha, Beta, Gamma thing. They do that to make sure that you don't lose the meaning in a in a bad connection, a staticky connection. I mean, they set up this, uh, you know, rescue attempt or, or whatever it is, maneuver, so quickly. With all the exposition in the movie, they somehow set up the most complicated scientific part without hardly talking about it. It's amazing. Is he sitting separately from Anne Hathaway? I think this was part of the surprise, was that you couldn't actually see them sitting next to each other. I, oh, right, they did make that comment about talking over the comms, though. 51 years. <laughs> pushing 120 yeah a little a little Hathaway trademark wit 
Yeah, I love it. They're wooting, they're whooping. Yeah, this is a great space movie. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and what's great is, normally it would be an experience like not liking The Martian and then coming back to this and liking this more because of that, but this is a case where I like this more because I love The Martian. Goodbye, Dr. Brent. See you on the other side. Wait, has she picked it up yet? Oh, he didn't tell her that she, that he's firing. Here he goes. Yeah, he says he had to sit in the pod to help with the thrust, but really he's going to escape from them. All right, here it is. This is great. And this is an exact mirror of Mackenzie uh, Foy when he's leaving the beginning of the movie. Yeah, you know, and she looks just like her. This is his second daughter, 90%. Right. And they, it, it, although it's dramatic, it's not melodramatic, and they don't linger on that. You know, a part of her knows that as harebrained as the scheme is, all they have are harebrained, uh, all they have are harebrained schemes at this point. Yeah, here's the the wing shot. I think that was sort of the trademark shot of the movie. I, I guess I'm okay with it. Uh, you know, I usually like my camera, like in Battlestar, Firefly, you know, well away from the ship and, you know, zooming in and out and moving all over the place. Heading towards the blackness. Visual of the event, the event horizon. Yep. So the reason it's black is light can't escape. That's how strong the gravity is. So the thing is, where you think the event horizon uh, is, is actually not the case. It's It's usually you know, sucks the light before it hits the actual event horizon. Here he goes. He's inside. He's trying to, he's trying to transmit. Uh, and in theory, all the light that has ever been trapped by the event horizon should be manifested. If you saw it, I, I think that's what all that light was. In addition to an accretion disc, which is just a lot of matter that circles around a very strong gravity. Well, as would be the case with even a gentle black hole, as they called it, or gentle singularity, it would, you'd be, you'd see all the trapped light. Like if we were on a, a spaceship and we were just at a range of a black hole and I jumped towards it, I would freeze. My image would, would literally, not me, but my image would literally freeze at the exact event horizon where light can't escape. And you would see me, even though I'd be long gone by that point, you'd see me just hovering there, you know, a millimeter above the event horizon. It's pretty weird stuff. And yet they bring it back here, burning the crops. You know, she burned everything to force them underground. Or maybe she didn't do it yet, did she? The old toys. It all comes back to this house. I mean, can you imagine if they had left the house or the house had been destroyed? I guess he would have found her anywhere. Right, okay, so there's tons of 2001 Space Odyssey stuff going on with this movie. I've read the book numerous times, saw the movie a while ago. You know, but this sort of mystical space artifact thing that's going on coming up here is very much from the Arthur C. Clarke mode, which I love. So, I guess we missed earlier in the movie that Michael Caine, as Dr. Brand you know, believe that it was you know, ancient, powerful, technologically super advanced beings who made the 
wormhole. And that's what's giving them ideas that maybe there's more going on with this black hole. Why put the black hole there? If you're ancient beings that are that powerful, you know, why send them to this system with uninhabitable planets? But the the very, very Matrix-esque, uh, yeah, look at the CGI, very, very Matrix-esque, you know, showing three slash four dimensions with, with articles of information. It's code in the Matrix here. It's books, basically the same thing. I actually really like this choice visually from the beginning in the original one. How can you not love what's coming up here? Okay, so here's where we have to put it together. This is it, all right? I've been trying to work towards this the whole movie. <laughs> Even I've been making corrections or additions to things I talked about earlier. I apologize. It's a very, very dense movie. I probably should have watched this one before going back into it. It's been a while, but it's fun as shit. I hope you guys are enjoying it. So here it is. Here's the, the reverse or inverse of the library. He's behind... All right, so you can see the pages, right? So he's essentially behind the bookcase. We can see through it. So he has to come up with this plan. And so the question is, in addition to just thinking about jumping in the black hole from when he first heard that that might be a bizarre but real strategy. Oh, there's Murph. When did he come up with this specific plan of the gravitational waves and the Morse code and the binaries and so forth? Okay. So now he, because time for him is moving at a fractional rate, these two, he actually can see both young and, you know, 34-year-old Murph at the same time. In fact, he would, realistically, he'd be seeing the whole continuum at the same time, which would be hard to process for a human. But in his, you know, in his place in this gravity well, what should actually put him, even if you couldn't get through an event horizon uh, and survive and not get sucked in immediately by the singularity and have something weird like this happen, this should be thousands, if not millions of years. It's not just the 67 years of the, of the slingshot. And the day of sex machina of saving him in the end, not so clear. This is great. Yeah, I mean, just a very, very physical uh, manifestation of endless data. And this is, I think, the beings, and this is what I also didn't realize, was how cool it was to have finally have a space opera movie in the Arthur C. Clarke mode where there were ancient beings that we don't need to know anything about other than they were advanced and they left things for us to find and we don't know why. It's it's the coolest concept in science fiction, in my opinion, and continues to be. And the main issue is that science fiction books that do stories like this are like 800 pages and last many, many, many books. Arthur C. Clarke's adaptation um novelization of 2001 was like 300 pages don't go right so here he morris here he says don't go he remembers that his daughter knows morris dot s so the message i this is the message that says stay and this is the very beginning of the movie and the time loop i was telling you about it's not really a time loop in the sense of john connor and the terminator stuff where you know, you're going back and forth through time, but because he's living in essentially a timeless uh, environment right now, and as I was going to say, you know, these beings can probably read his head, and in his head, he knows about books, you know, and books are the way that, and, and you know, human civilization in the 22nd century or whatever, late 21st century, 
you know, books were still important in this civilization that had gone primitive, became even more important. It's all about books to transmit knowledge. She's crying. Both Murphs killing it so the aliens can read his mind because they're five-dimensional aliens. And uh, I'll explain why they're five-dimensional, not (laughs) four-dimensional. There's the watch. Look, oh my god. Yeah, Jessica Chastain, I'm so sorry. In fact, I I don't start very many fan clubs, but I might have to start a Chastain fan club. Not because it'd be hard to find members, just because I feel so horrible about not appreciating her earlier in her career. It's weird that a small role, like her role in The Martian, small though critical, was what it took to appreciate this sort of performance. He's still looking through the bookcase. Time's passing. The aliens must be controlling the flow of time, or at least his experience of it. Because he he's seeing two periods that are spaced out by like 23 years, you know. Tell him, Murph, make him stay. Right. He's not going to listen. This never made sense to me. He would want him to go to do this very thing. Stay. Yeah, if he stays, then they never do this. You know, if he stays, he never ends the black hole. This is him being selfish. Uh, and, and looking back on it, I kind of appreciate it because you think he's just given up everything to save all of mankind for all time. But in this moment, he's reliving that, that traumatizing event where he left and she wouldn't say goodbye to him. And he went through all of this terrible shit and saw people die and get killed. But he wouldn't have gotten to this black hole otherwise. But, Murph, it was you. Right, who else would have told her to stay? Or told him to stay? Uh, He can feel her. So, for him, like, you know, almost zero milliseconds are passing during all this on his end. They're not going to show it to us as such, in that maybe the aliens framed it that way, but she would be moving at an extremely high rate, like, you know, like hitting the fast forward, you know, times 100 on your remote control on the DVR. They're fifth dimension. They saved us. Right, here's the alien artifact stuff. I love this. Right, why would they want to help us? Their five-dimensional reality. Yeah, it ain't working. Yep, and that's that's the key, is that his message to young Murph, for him to stay, now he's realizing it was not only impossible, but a mistake. Oh, I just missed the big revu- scientific reveal there. Right, gravity can cross the dimensions including time. That's the theory. We don't know that, but we think gravity exists in all 11, 12, 13 plus dimensions that we can th- theorize about. And the reason they're in five-dimensional space and not four-dimensional space, and this is a hypothesis, um, <laughs> is that living across fourth-dimensional space means that y- you can see time like a spatial dimension and go anywhere in time, back and forth, up and down, the same way you can in three dimensions of space. But in order to survive inside a black hole near a singularity and not get ripped apart, you would need someone who 
was at least tapped into, and I think that's what they're trying to say, that they're at least fifth dimensional beings, possibly more. Another spatial dimension. With string theory, there's like 10 or 11 or 12. It depends who you talk about that. But here it is. Right, they didn't bring us here at all. We brought ourselves. Is this just a time loop thing? You know? That they wouldn't have known to go in the future unless someone from the future told them to go to the future? NASA and binary. Oh, okay. Coordinates for NASA and binary. That is what they transmitted. You know, when he went there with Murph hiding (laughs) under the blanket. When he first got persuaded to come back. Both Murphs. Both trying to figure it out. Door, yeah, the window's open with the dust. Look at this yellow filter. Bam. It's not a ghost. It's gravity. Right, and exactly why they should have called this gra- uh, this movie Gravity, as I've been saying. Or at least to mention once. It's too bad. It's much more worthy of it. It's more on the nose with the actual Gravity movie. Yep, gravitational waves. Dust is the perfect thing to separate because it would be not strong, but well-defined. The definition would be, would be severe from one wave to the next. So what does he end up transmitting to her to save the world through the gravitational waves? Uh-huh. Yep. Right, he's not looking at a million bedrooms. He's looking at every dimensional version in part of Murph's bedroom. Can't find a specific place and time. Can't communicate. That's why he's there. Right. So he's he's flying through mostly time right now, I believe. Yeah, right. Love is quantifiable. At least in this alien superstructure, it's crazy. That's what they're postulating, is that love is the thing that allowed him to find her in this infinite, you know, hall of worlds, as I tend to call it, which is more of a fantasy concept they do here. You know, it's almost creepy. He's looking right through, and that's why when you rewatch the movie, the whole time you're thinking, oh my God, Matthew McConaughey's right behind that bookcase. He's behind the bookcase. He's behind the bookcase. Yeah, so that's, you know, I mean, Nolan goes all over the place, but when it comes down to it, he goes the straightest, you know, route between two points, which I'm fine with, which is, hey, we just found all this data inside a black hole that's going to allow you to solve, you know, your own problems at home. So I'm going to transmit that to you. She's leaving, yeah, after all that, now she's leaving. Because I gave it to her. What's she going to say? Oh. Oh, here comes the Morse code. Oh, Tars is... Oh, he's... And this is the string theory thing. This I love. They make this look like a harp. This is not not an accident, people. This is a a nod to string theory that the whole universe is filled with 11 plus dimensions of eventually, you know, ultimately tiny strings vibrating in a certain way. Yeah, what does he think is going to happen there? He's going to hit him with the... uh, with the rod, you know he's he he's playing the strings of of the loom of the music of the universe. It's awesome. I love it. He came back. 
Casey probably thinks she's nuts. Dad's going to save us. They put the music so loud in this movie. I normally hate that for these kind of scenes, but it, it really works in the movie's favor. You know, because the humans are almost gone. And so to put them behind the music is just a brilliant stroke by uh, Nolan Plus. Oh, here she goes. Uh, Nolan and the uh, the music team. All right, you got to have the equations written on the board. <laughs> you know, they've been there for like 30 years. Now she's solving it. Gotta love it. I guess that is her husband or her her boyfriend. Eureka! That the throwing of papers has to be a reference to something. It's traditional. <laughs> I guess it is a boy. <laughs> yeah. I think when she says it's traditional, she means it's Newtonian or at least relativistic, not quantum. Which they would need because they're far from understanding quantum physics. We know almost nothing about it in our time. Okay, so from here to the end, it's like total mysticism and makes no sense. He passes out, wakes up alive many years later. He should be millions of years old, you know, before. Or I should say, this. he should wake up millions of years after. For all of us. Yeah. People couldn't build this Cooper. No, not yet. Right. He po- And this is the, uh, you know, if you're a sci-fi nerd, this is not a revelation that it's actually people from the far future and not some alien race. You know, this is, but here it comes. Here comes the light. Boom. I still think Contact's the best. I gotta rewatch it in terms of the wormhole stuff. Just because the emotional stakes are so ridiculous in that movie. And Buck. Carl Sagan. He's coming to the light. They they should have A, killed him, or B, had him show up like four million years later. You know, having him show up just to watch his daughter die, I thought was... Uh, oh, interesting. He sees Anne Hathaway through the bubble. I mean, that's the thing. That's how they get around the science. Everything in the science is perfect up until the event horizon, but no mathematical (laughs) or astrophysical scenario that I've seen (laughs) can justify getting even near an event horizon of a black hole, let alone go through it and survive. So, you know, (laughs) that's sort of the like, well, you know, all the phone lines are down, so we can just go crazy and no one will know what's going on thing, you know. Now he's by Saturn, and they're coming to find him. So, a handful of minutes to go here. The best part's already happened. These particular emotional beats at the end, um, you know, were excessive and not really important. Um, I would have maybe had him die and end the movie with Jessica Chastain, Uh, you know leading to a new world, and that being sort of the end. That would be more traditional, I suppose. In some ways, this is very Hollywood. You're extremely lucky. He's going, you have no idea how lucky I am. Okay, this is, of course, impossible. So, they hit the ball, right, it's completely round, and it's spinning, but we can't see it, and that's what's causing the gravity. But, you know, to create real gravity, you would need you know such a high mass and such a fast speed you know that you wouldn't be able to see the curvature cooper station (laughs) nice of you
Yeah, I think the worst part is he just doesn't get real closure with uh, with Murph. He's never interacted with this old woman that we say. Should be here in a couple of weeks. Well, it's taking so long. And, you know, Ellen Burstyn, who plays the elder Murph, is, is a legendary actress, but it's almost distracting. He's like, oh, that's Ellen Burstyn. You know, if they could make the young, gorgeous Haley Atwell, a.k.a. Agent Peggy Carter from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and TV Universe, her own show, as a fan favorite, it's from all the Cap movies, if they could turn her into, like, an 85-year-old uh, Alzheimer's patient, you know, in Winter Soldier, I'm not totally sure why they couldn't have done that with Chestin here. Because even though they use makeup plus CGI and other methods on very non-traditional, very advanced to get that look for Haley Atwell in that small scene, her eyes were still there. You could tell it was her eyes, even if you hadn't seen the credits beforehand. Although it was such a convincing makeup slash CGI job that I, uh, you know, that you had to look it up. This, this you know, is, is not Chastain. Okay, right. It's a museum, the house. As I mentioned, they ha- you know they were lucky that they still had the house after all those decades, or she never would have had that realization. This is what we wish our museums were like, where everything was totally preserved, and there were TVs explaining things, but nothing was behind you know glass or it was all very tangible. You know, this is building up the legend of uh, of Coop and Murph. Uh, don't think this was necessary, but you know, you know Matthew McConaughey is, is going to exit the screen for good in a couple minutes, so you're just sucking it all in. Because goddamn, what a performance does he put on? So I missed the explanation of how they ultimately uh, escaped Earth, but you know. N- n- narrow, you know, spinning cylinders is, is, you know, I mean, what can you say? <laughs> That's sci-fi from like the 1930s. Okay, so he immediately realizes that he needs to go back into space. And it makes sense, because everything in his world's gone. His son's gone. His son's family's gone, I guess. You know, he'll find that Murph is is there, but almost gone. And he knows that the one person who's still in his time continuum, even though this should not be the case whatsoever, and it's the most egregious thing in the movie, whatever, apparently that only took 67 years off of his life, uh, being in the middle of a black hole, which basically could potentially warp time backwards into different directions has to be a father-daughter thing. It has to. It has to. I think I, I was a little unnerved the first time I saw it, and so was sort of looking for an excuse. I went, oh man, he's going after a Hathaway because she, uh, he loves her, but he does love her, but it, it's as a surrogate daughter. Um, I can't remember if we see her in, in Edmunds. Edmunds being dead and her sort of looking up. Right, you got the organ music. <laughs> That was a little much. Yeah. 
Hans Zimmer just goes right back to the, the interstellar theme. You know, he develops one or two main themes that he just keeps going back to. But really, the best film soundtracks sound like that. No, the original Star Wars movies were extremely untraditional and having an almost uncountable number of distinct themes. You know, usually, um, you know, having too many themes and having it be too abstract, oh, there's the watch, uh, can hurt the movie and not work perfectly with the original Star Wars movie where the, the acting could be wooden at times and so you keep the music, you know, hyper-dynamic. But here where the drama is so great, you just want to stress the dramatic points, but not distract from what's going on on screen. It's it's heartbreaking, because you want him to see one of the two other Murphs. Or I do. I want him to see young Murph, or at least Jessica Chastain. Because this does nothing for me. You know, I, I would have rather they just kept... Murph's, you know, body on ice or something until her dad got back. Anything. But again, the Nolans, with, you know, great actors to work with, can sell a ton of exposition and, you know, almost fake character drama by utilizing these, these amazing artists here. And that includes the crew, camera crew. Uh, and but I do like that he leaves her, and that's it. You, you know, she's got her great grandchildren. It's almost like he's a ghost. Uh, I, I'm wondering if oh, they do show Hathaway. I thought they did. I thought they showed her seeing that Edmonds was dead. I guess this could be a romance. Look, she looks just like Murph. Yeah, I'm going back to my original position. Is although Murph, you know. Jessica Chastain Murph works for me way more now than he used to. And Hathaway still looks the most like her. Whatever. Maybe there's something going on there. What's the opposite of Freudian? Um, but no, I, could, I guess that would be Freudian. And, uh, you know, he's going to go after her. And this is, this is the Martian thing. This is you leave no one behind no matter how crazy it is. He, and if he survived the black hole, you know, in space, it's like, can't... Uh, I mean, they're really hinting that they're going to be a love interest. Uh, well, he loves Murph. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Settling in from the long nap. He doesn't want her to lose hope. Yeah. That's why I think it's a, it's a father-daughter or brother-sister thing in the end. But, you know, who knows? It's open. Why not? It's the end of the world. You gotta... Oh, you gotta breathe. Exactly. That's some some of the best breathing you'll ever see, courtesy of Anne Hathaway. She's really the best actress of her generation. I was talking about this with my dad. I love Scarlett Johansson. She's had a lot more roles. Is about the same age. Jennifer Lawrence is younger. Uh, you know, obviously m- more popular or, or just more in the zeitgeist. But for for the you know late twenties, early thirties, I would take Hathaway over anybody, anytime, for any role. She's like a young female Christian Bale. She's a chameleon. She can play anything. Oh, they have a settlement there. Wait, what? How the hell do they have a settlement on that planet? Okay. I totally forgot that and maybe blocked that out of my mind because I didn't see that coming, nor can I understand it. Great movie. I hope you have a chance to listen to my Martian commentary. And listening to the uh, Hans Zimmer Go really quiet with the piano is a beautiful way to 
merge out of this movie and back to reality. So I hope you enjoyed this, and the bizzle is out.